Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, Chris Hart and Gary Dickman, the Sports Animals, on ESPN Honolulu. Happy Monday. Good morning. Dickman and Hart with you. And, uh, well, today not only is it an Aloha Monday morning, but it is the National Bubble Wrap Day. It happens every uh, last Monday in January, you'll recall. (laughs) Bubble Wrap was invented in 1956 by accident. See, there's a couple of Jamokis in New Jersey. We're trying to make puffy wallpaper out of shower curtains. I don't know what there is. Anyway, nobody bought it, and they soon found out it worked great in wrapping stuff up. So uh, happy National Bubble Wrap Day. Enjoy it, everybody. I have some uh, about 10 feet from me now from the radio equipment. So, but, uh, Stick it on the wall you... and see what it looks like. <laughs> I was going to say, how do you enjoy it? How, how do you celebrate it? <laughs> oh, you pop it. Pop, pop, oh, okay. pop, pop. Like the IBEW commercial. Hey, right. Pop, 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 pop. Okay. Oh, boy. National Croissant Day. Enjoy your breakfast this morning. National Croissant. And, you know, it's basically a single croissant has about as many calories as 12 slices of bread. That's why it tastes so good. But uh, happy Croissant Day, too, today. All right, top headlines as we uh, head into the week. University of Hawaii basketball teams and the men's volleyball team all winners this weekend. That's good news. Well, Rainbow Wahine basketball won as well on Saturday, too. So Yeah, bas- basketball teams. Oh, That's yeah. why I said Hawaii basketball teams. So. Try and follow along the show. It'll be much more interesting for I, you, Gary. I am so caught up in National Bubble Wrap Day that I just couldn't get my thoughts, you know. Uh, anyway, yeah, it was really good Saturday. <laughs> Volleyball had a really easy time. I looked at the box score, and I, was, I thought it was a different team, and it kind of was because you did, I thought maybe another team had a Hoagland on there or Todd because it was very few familiar names. It was the second and third stringers that played basically throughout and still beat Barton handedly, so that was nice yeah. to see. Um, but we've seen Keone Sim and uh, Eliu Choi. Not uh, much. Kana'ia Kana, Alaka'i Todd. Cole Hoagland, Brett Sheward. I mean, we've seen all a lot of these guys. A couple of guys we haven't, but I wouldn't want to call them fourth stringers. Well, I, I think that's, fourth. I said that's a little. And third. That's a whatever it is. It's it's a. I don't know. I I mean, Keone Thim plays words. Keone, you know, he says depth. Uh, <laughs> Keone Thim plays every game. I, Unless I, you're yeah. not paying attention, you don't know he's a serving specialist. Okay, I am paying attention. But anyway, congratulations to yes. uh, Alakai Todd with 13 slam downs. Yeah, Todd and Hoagland I recognize right away. Thim I should have, but even Charlie said it was the second and third stringers that got the opportunity. So. Yeah, but I don't think that's very nice. Just call him depth. I can disagree with Charlie. I agree with Charlie. I can disagree with you. Oh, this is so funny. All right. Way to uh, Brown, but still in fifth place on the standing. So they really need to beat Davis, who's right behind them in the standing. That's Thursday night's opponent to maintain a pace and hopefully get back to the top. 
Yeah, uh, another game where Callan Spiller and Jackie David didn't put, they started but didn't put in a ton of minutes. Yeah. Um, so the final score is Hawaii 51, Bakersfield 47 on the road. Hawaii improves to 6-4 and four in conference play. A lot of turnovers really by both teams, 19 for the Wahine, 21 for Bakersfield. It was kind of an ugly game, huh? Yeah, there have been games where they average probably between 16 and 20 turnovers. A few games when they have 9, 10, 11, they're going to win, like most teams. But, yeah, they did. They have had a tendency to really have too many turnovers at times, and that can come back to haunt them. Again, another close game, and I'm glad they got to hit some free throws down the stretch to seal the deal. That was nice to see. Yeah, they had a, a, a terrible offensive output in the fourth quarter, shooting 2 of 10. Yeah. Uh, in, in in the fourth, but overall for the game, 33%. They started out strong, started out the second half strong. Uh, in between everything left that offensively, uh, little it was a poor offensive outing. Yeah, and they don't have Deja Phillips again. Uh, that's the second game in a row. Both games on this road trip, she didn't play, and I didn't see any reason given whether it was an injury or anything else. But that, after, she's their leading scorer, and she's not in the game. That really hurts, obviously. Might have helped them against Bakersfield on Thursday, uh, they didn't need her, as it turns out, on Saturday, but it was a close game. But I'm hoping she's back at least this week. Yeah. Uh, Bernardo da Silva, uh, along with uh, Samuta Avea, Kamaka Hepa, Jovan McClanahan, and Noel Coleman all at it for the Rainbow Warrior basketball team. And, oh, they, they played a great first half and a horrible second half to hang on. They had to hang on. To beat Cal State Bakersfield at home. Oh, that doesn't feel very good to say. No. You could look at things and say, oh, we only had seven turnovers or anything like that. But you know what? Or we had 12 turnovers. Sorry. 12 turnovers. But, uh, boy, that was a that was embarrassing. 0 for 11 from three-point land in the second half. Shooting 21% overall. Yuck. Twenty one. What do you get? Twenty one percent. I don't know what I'm reading. Anyway, oh, okay. they they thirty one percent in the second half. If I said twenty one, I apologize. Thirty one percent in the second half. Sixty percent in the first half. But forty seven percent overall. It was a horrible game. It was a tough. Yeah, second horrible half. second half. Yes. Uh, Bobby Curran had called me yesterday. One the first thing he wanted to know was was Bakersfield that good? He saw the score only. And figured Bakerfield must be really good. When I told him they only had eight players, he couldn't believe it. When yeah. I told him the halftime score, he couldn't believe it. And, yeah, uh, you might have heard of Ron Gannat after the game not happy. He talked about Thursday's first half being the worst first half of the season and Saturday's second half the worst second half of the season. He took blame, uh, blamed himself, but still, when they had that stretch nine minutes without a field goal and they were 2 of 11 shooting in the second half at the 740 mark, and both baskets were by Jovan, Jovan McClanahan. I, I really couldn't believe that. I mean, you know, Bakersfield was chipping away, and they scored more points or a better second-half team than a first-half team all season. But for them to come back from where they were at halftime, I would not have believed it if I didn't see it. Yeah, and this uh, they, they only had eight players, like you said. I mean, four of these guys never play, uh, and they had no point guard. They played a game without a point guard. And you, they still almost beat us because it was so horrible in the second half. That worries me a little here. Yeah, it, it should, and it, it worried Aron Gannat too. I, I just 
you know, I, I know this team is a good team. You look at their record, 16-6, and six, three losses by a possession, a fourth loss in overtime. In conference, they're 7-3, and three, good percentage. But they've had slip-ups, and Iran did compare it to the CSUN game when they let them back in the game, another bottom feeder in the conference. That's something you got to take care of because we've seen it over the years where you might have leads in these games, but if you can't close a team out, it'll come back to haunt you. And it didn't on Saturday, but it got pretty close. Yeah. So anyway, oh, what's next for the uh, our basketball teams? Well, they go through the second round now, basically. Everybody played each other once. They play UC Davis Thursday on the road, and then Saturday, Poly. Now, Cal Poly lost by 29. They only scored 36 points against Fullerton Saturday. Not a good team, but they beat us there before. Davis has been really hot of late, but they lost a game to Long Beach State over the weekend. So they were tied with us going into Saturday. Now they're a game and back. Uh, you need to win over Davis, otherwise they'll be tied, Long Beach State could be tied, and then you find yourself in the 4th, 5th, 6th, or even 7th position of the standings. Yikes. You don't want to fall that in that spot at all, period, so you need to take care of business against a good Davis team on the road Thursday. Yeah, and I don't want to hear any more, oh, you know, it's not a very good team. It doesn't matter. Oh, well, we got good, you know, we're, we're good players. Sure, they're good players. They're really good players. We have some of the best players in the in- entire Big West. But, I mean, if they come out, and, it's how are they going to play? Where's their head at? Where's their heart at? Obviously, it wasn't in the second half against a bottom feeder like Bakersfield. Now that you're going on the road, you play like that, you're going to lose these games. You're not going to win by three. You know, Hawaii, for whatever reason, mentally, they, 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 they have lapses like this. So... I mean, Hawaii shouldn't actually be favored on any of these games, no matter what the win-loss records are. We could slip up and lose these pretty easily by the mental makeup of what we've seen on this uh, this home stretch these last couple of games. Well, one thing, when I look at, especially on Saturday's game in that second half where they really struggled, the offense struggled. Okay, let's start with them. All those, well, not all, basically every shot that I saw in that second half stretch was a good shot. It wasn't like they played poorly defensive offensively. They did turn the ball over, but not too much. I think the big key was they couldn't stop Bakersfield. Bakersfield was making basket. Every time Hawaii would make a basket, Bakersfield would come back. Hawaii right. would miss, they'd come back. They shot really well, so the defense wasn't there. Also, the hustle after the 50-50 ball, they had to lose at least three or four of those. And, you know, you have a turnover, a lost ball on a 50-50 ball, then a missed shot, and all of a sudden Bakersfield making three baskets out of four, and they're slowly chipping away. They got to within 54-50 with 6.50 left in the game, and that was too close. After Hawaii, I think was up by 19 was the most they were up by. So it, it was just really, really hard to watch when they went through that stretch like that. But it, it happened, and it shouldn't happen. I agree. It shouldn't happen, but it has happened. Again, one way of looking at this, to me at least, is that they were able to face adversity and come out on top. There have been years when a team would have a nice lead like they did on Saturday, talking about UH, blow the lead where a team would come back and lose that game in the stretch. We've seen that a few times, probably against better teams. I, I, I know that. I, I still think, again, when you look at the season as a whole, this is a really good season right now. Still, I, I, and I'll say it again, there's oh, a yeah. fine line. It is. I mean, it's a, what are we, 15 and 6? 16 and a, 6. 16 yeah. and 6. It is a good season. I'm not saying any of that. Yeah, I'm, just no. saying, I'm just saying if we're facing somebody who has two conference wins, don't get overconfident, especially on the road. Because yes. if, you, you if they're going to play like they have been playing in the last couple of games, you know, you, ugh, it's going it's, it's, it's to be a little embarrassing. 
It could be. And you're right about the bottom. You can't take them lightly. As we've said a few times, I know Aran Gennad has it. Others, you take it like a Cal Poly or a CSUN, even though they are at the bottom of the standings with, I think, one and one win or one and two win. They, they've been close in a lot of these games. I mean, you even look at Riverside, the first-place team on Saturday. They play UC San Diego, a team they – I don't know what they were favored by. They only beat them by seven. That's probably – that was kind of a surprise that they only beat them by seven. So you're, it's a good point about the bottom team – being competitive for various reasons. They know the personnel. They just don't win these games at the end many times, but they are tough, and you just can't overlook them. And if you give them a minute, give them an inch, whatever you want to say it, they can get back in the game because Bakersfield got in the game that they shouldn't have. And I'm not making excuses for this team. I just think that it's just one of those things. And like Aron said, he just wishes they could play a full 40 minutes and doesn't really know what caused it, but he gave what really happened. Again, there was different reasons why they lost that lead, and the turnovers you, weren't acceptable to him at the defense or lack you of. Th- you think we left our depth in there too long? No, because I, I think you know I, I looked at that. He had foul trouble with Bernardo and Kamaka right off the top, so I think that's one reason we saw guys play less minutes than we have in about two months. You had three three started Bernardo, Samuta, and Kamaka all under thirty minutes. That never happened. The guards though both played over thirty five minutes. So I, mean, I think Beyond Riley did a really good job again. I think he had a pretty good homestand. Sure. And Morissette could play a few minutes and be an intimidator, that rim protector. The other guys, Harry Ruliadef is just maybe not 100% from what he was suffering with a few weeks ago. He hasn't been able to get into a rhythm. He's not playing a lot. I heard he's not 100%. And mm-hmm. then you get Cody Williams, who didn't really do much, only played about three minutes. And Justice yeah. Jackson apparently is not 100% either. You know, he'll play, you know, for extended periods here and there, but not as much as he normally would. But, again, Jovan, I thought, did a great job on Saturday for the most part. And I thought Noel Coleman did, even though he missed a couple of free throws late and was only one of five on threes. I liked some of the things he did. Yeah, more than a couple of free throws. That was that was uncharacteristic. I think he hit 28 in a row or something like that before that. Yeah. And then he missed three in a row. I think it was at least three in a row. That was uh, that was a little freaky. That that was that was crazy. Uh, so yeah, six of nine uh, free throws for Noel Coleman. It's like usually it's like that's the guy you don't want to foul at the end of the game. All of a sudden, it was apparent that that was the guy to foul at the end of the game. Yeah, there were ten fouls called in the last minute and a half. That last few minutes really dragged on. By the way, Beyond Riley, seven of seven from the free throw line. Again, I thought he had a pretty good How's game. How's that? Huh? Yes, yeah, yeah, really good. Uh, somebody else did what? Uh, well, anyway, I think Jovan McClanahan, he didn't wait until the second half in this game to start going like he does sometimes. Uh, he came out, and he came out to score. He had a very good game. I know you mentioned it earlier. <laughs> I didn't realize it 17 points. Hepa and uh, Clutch McClanahan, 17 on the game. Coleman with 11. Some of those shots that Jovan made, I just, I become such a big fan of his. I mean, I, I don't think he'll make first – I'm pretty sure he won't make all first team for the Big West because a guy like A.J. Mitchell will get it. But I hope he gets some kind of recognition, whether it's second team, honorable mention, and something. He's just really had a fantastic season in conference. Yeah, he had a kind of an off game on Thursday, but Saturday night – and it's not just that he's scoring a lot, which is big, but the way he's scoring – he shouldn't be getting in the paint and making those baskets. He shouldn't be rebounding the way he is. He had six rebounds on Saturday. I mean, that's, that shouldn't happen. He does that pretty much every game. All right. Uh, coming up, uh, we'll uh, continue with our headlines. We only got through really one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and, hey, the Super Bowl set. Oh, yeah. That's coming up here. Uh, weather-wise today, it's uh, rain today, a chance of thunderstorms. It's going to be cloudy tonight. Winds out of the northeast at 10 to 15. Check your traffic and 
Talk Super Bowl next on ESPN Honolulu. Well, Super Bowl Sunday is set two weeks from now. Philadelphia Eagles, Kansas City Chiefs, the home teams win uh, the conference championships just as I picked it on pigskin picks. Just how I didn't pick them. I had San Francisco and Cincinnati, and uh, I did think those, those games could go either way. The second game proved that the first game kind of over as soon as Brock Purdy went out. Josh Johnson did walk through that door, didn't finish walking through, I guess, and didn't make a difference. They uh, went out of it. And the Eagles probably would have won any – well, m- might have won anyway. They are that good. But it was, I was disappointed that it wasn't a close game. That was the first thing I thought of. Early on, you knew the game was over. I think a sexier Super Bowl, especially for people in Hawaii, would have been the 49ers and the Bengals. Instead, it almost seems like you've got uh, more hard hat type uh, of a a team in the Philadelphia Eagles. And, I mean, I only know one Eagles fan. But, um, boy, that's a – it's the Kelsey Bowl. I was rooting for it. The Kelsey Bowl, as they called it on television afterwards. Um, Travis Kelsey is the, of course, the all-world tight end for the Chiefs. His brother, is it Jason Kelsey? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Jason. Yeah, yeah. So Jason is the, uh, you know, perennial All-Pro center for years. The one of the best centers in. I mean, both Hall of Famers. Right. Since we had the Harbaugh Bowl, I, I don't know that this has happened before. Yeah, that's a pretty obviously a really cool storyline. If I'm not mistaken, Jason Kelsey actually played for Andy Reid, and it was ten years ago. And I well, saw yeah, that Andy like, Reid got fired 10 years ago. Yeah, but I didn't know Kelsey was on the team 10 years ago. I had to double, give a double check on that when I read that last night. A double but, check? Well, you know, a double look, a double glance. You mean a double take? A second a second look. <laughs> but that storyline I know incredible. English is hard for you sometimes, but I'm here to help you out. I know. And, and, but but the Andy Reid story, yeah, that, that is such a really – I mean, that's one of the best things about this game is the storyline between those connections, I think. Okay, uh, who are you rooting for? You know, I thought about it last, and I found myself rooting for Cincinnati last night without really thinking about it. In this game, I'm going to root for Kansas City. A couple of reasons. One, Marcus Kemp had a catch yesterday, one, pa- one catch, 13 yards. He oh, I didn't know he had a catch. I saw him yeah. at the end of the game um, because, they, you know, Juju was injured and somebody else was injured. A couple yeah. of uh, receivers were injured. But I saw Kemp, and I was like, yeah, I didn't know he caught, when did he catch a ball? It was late. I didn't even, to be honest, I didn't notice it live. I saw it in the stats after the game. I didn't realize it, that he caught one. Oh, okay. Because late, late he didn't get, you know, the la- in the closing minutes he didn't get a catch. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah I watched the last five, six minutes I watched too close to know but, that. But okay, he- here's a trivia question. Who was the last person, and you'll know by the, what we're saying, but who was the last person to touch the football in that game? Marcus Kemp. Oh. It was Marcus Kemp on special teams. Oh, okay. I didn't. I, I didn't realize oh, the kickoff with three seconds left. Wow, I didn't yeah. realize that. Well, it pays to watch the game. Well, I mean, I knew he had a catch. <laughs> but anyway, I, that's one reason I'm cheering for Kansas City. And there's just something about Philadelphia. The last time they won a Super Bowl, 
and I was there about two months later, just all these Philadelphia shirts everywhere. And I have nothing against Philadelphia, but it just reminds me about my team being really bad when another team in green win. And by the way, the Empire State Building screwed up last night. They lit up in Eagles colors, and a lot of people are upset. A lot of people are really upset about that. I, I want Kansas City to win. I like Patrick Mahomes. I like Andy Reid. I think he was wrong by Philadelphia, even though they said I also heard they needed a new voice. It wasn't, you know, he went to, what, five straight NFC championships games in that stretch. I think he's one of the greatest coaches to ever coach, and I'm hoping he gets another Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, I imagine if he had somebody like Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback and not Don, Donovan McNabb is not a Patrick Mahomes. And, it's, I mean, you know, they brought him to the Super Bowl, and Donovan McNabb was good. He's not a Hall of Fame quarterback. No. We're all, you know, and in fact, he was kind of a Kind of a, well, as we would say as kids growing up, he was kind of a dumbhead at times, you know, not knowing about the overtime rules and things oh, like yeah. that. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, so, it's. I mean, he was good, but at the same time, I think Donovan McNabb thought he was better than he really was. But the talent, but he didn't have the talent that he has today on the Kansas City Chiefs. Think about, oh, no. the, I mean, there were good players, and you can rattle off some rosters, and I'd love to hear them because I can't think of anybody but Donovan McNabb uh, playing for the Eagles. Do they have T.O.? No. I can't remember if he played for the Eagles or not. Oh, yeah, he had a anyway, Super Bowl. Yeah, that was that was, that was T.O.'s years. Yeah, okay, yeah. so they had T.O., and they had some good players, yeah, but not like this. I mean, right. here, I mean, the Philadelphia, the Philadelphia, actually, the Philadelphia in, in Kansas City, I mean, he's got, a number of Hall of Fame players. And then you lose a Hall of Fame type player in Tyreek Hill, and it doesn't even matter. Now, last night, you could see when McCole Hardman got hurt. Yeah, uh, I did not realize that Juju got hurt, but Juju got hurt sometimes towards in the second half. Yeah, And uh, you had a number of guys that were hurt in that game. And Patrick Mahomes tweaked that ankle uh, when he was throwing. He was running left and throwing. He was running left and throwing right? I don't know how that would tweak your right ankle, but it did. You saw him uh, limping after that. Yes, he was never the same. He couldn't throw the ball like he did in the beginning of the season. So the good thing is, you know, you got a two-week break. And, you know, I mean, look how well his uh, his uh, ankle responded after one week. Yeah, off. right. After exactly. two weeks, it should be, unless it's, you know, if, unless he did more damage to it or something like that. I guess... You just gotta hope there's no, any kind of ligament damage and things like that. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a, um, it was. I mean, they were trading field goals for a lot of the game. Yeah. Uh, in that AFC Conference Championship, it was, and then at the end, it was kind of a sad way to end it, right? Yes. Joseph Osai, uh, he, he, man, I, I just wanted him to get off the field after the game. They kept showing him sitting there crying, and I was like, dude, just get off. Somebody take him off of the field, but um, you should. Hopefully, he's not getting death threats on social media. But in today's world, that's probably something that automatically happens if you happen to make a penalty towards the end of the game. Oh, okay, I mean, there like were a that. lot of things that cost them that game, not just that. There was a how video. About, how about going on having zero yards offensively in the first quarter? Maybe yeah. that. Maybe that happened to the game, right? Yeah, no rushing game at all. But there was a video of Jermaine. Pr- 
Pratt going in the tunnel after the game, and he had a choice where I, I thought Osai was right there, but he wasn't. But he was just saying, why would you touch the quarterback? Bleep, 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 bleep. Why would you do that? And really upset. But then in the locker room, supposedly everybody was really behind and saying that he didn't cost us the game. And it was it, just what you said, one play doesn't make a game and all that. And they were saying the right things, but I'm hoping he – hopefully gets out of this, you know, unscathed, so to speak, because that's always something you're going to remember. And uh, the fact that the team stood behind him hopefully lessens it a little bit. I, I, when I watched it live, I thought it was a bad call, and I know it's the right call. I just hate for a game to be decided on a call like that. But it was the right well, call. Well, then don't that. do it. You can't blame the – and I don't think you are, but some people might blame the referees. Yeah, yeah. If this was basketball, you'd say, you got to let that go. But it yep. was too – it was too obvious. How are you going to, especially in the league where your main job is to protect the quarterbacks? You get that memo every year: protect the quarterbacks, especially the star quarterbacks. So you got a guy with a bum ankle; he steps out of bounds, he's out of bounds, and you push him. You know, and he's like, "Oh, I thought I was going to try and push him backwards," and it was like, "How could you possibly think?" You were hoping to push him backwards. Because if you push him backwards, the clock keeps running. That's what he wanted. No, but he pushed him from behind. How are you physically going to make someone go backwards when you push him from behind? Okay, okay. That was, it's, it's a, he, yeah. I, I feel said, bad for the guy, but at the same time, that was, uh, you know, that shouldn't have been said. But, I mean, what is he supposed to do? I mean, if he doesn't go at them a whole, and then, you know, one article I read last what night. What is he supposed to do? Was, not touch the quarterback. The quarterback's but, out of bounds. But then he could run for a few more yards to get closer to the no, field No, no, he was range. out of bounds when he hit but, him. He's not going to run know. for a few more yards. But if you don't go after him like that, he might stay in bounds and cut back for a few more yards. And that's one of the things he said. I think he's right. I don't think he's right because how is he going to come back for a few more yards? Before, when the pressure was there, when Osai was on him and he was running out of bounds, if there's nobody behind him, he could run for a few more yards and get in closer field goal range. The 15-yard penalty is what got him in field goal range. They weren't in field goal range. I understand range at the time. that. I understand that. But he's when the when he's standing on the big long, the big white part. That means he's out of bounds and don't touch the quarterback. Yeah, I mean before that, before that, just when there was the pressure was there. I think if he wasn't pressuring him to go out he of bounds. He could have stopped is what I'm saying is he could have stopped. Ooh. You, you see, yeah, you see that play all the time. Otherwise, we'd have a lot more penalties in that game because there was a number of times quarterbacks were running out of bounds. Well, this is one of the means people are running with. They're giving the referee the MVP this is of radio, the Gary. championship. I'm talking Gary, it's about radio. it. It's on, our, <laughs> it's on our Twitter page is what I was going to say if I was allowed to. So people can Jeff, see it there. if you're allowed to. Uh, okay. Jeff Reinbold uh, from Sky Sports on the NFL and the Super Bowl coming up on ESPN Honolulu. Good morning. Get ready for more rain today. Take it easy out on the roads. Uh, it's going to be slick. We'll have another update for you coming up in about 10 minutes on ESPN Honolulu. I don't know if it's raining where our next guest is, but I know he's far away where it usually does rain in that area. And we are joined now on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia hotline. He's the director of player development for University of Hawaii football and with Sky Sports, as usual, covering the NFL and NFL playoffs. Jeff Reinbold with us. Jeff, what country are you in right now? I am in England, so i got to wish you a great big Aloha Kako from London, England. <laughs> Hanging right. with the Mick and the Stones, love it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, we, hey, uh, I, I got I got to tell you something, Gary. That that I was sitting out at a coffee 
at a cafe one day when I was living in London, and I would see this couple walk down the street, and this woman is striking. I mean striking. And this guy next to her is a gray-headed dude, really good-looking, dapper, dressed real good. And as he got closer, I didn't have my contacts in, so I was about 10 feet away before I saw him. And, oh, my God, it's the drummer from the Stones. And I'm like, I'm like the biggest fanboy moment in my whole life. (laughs) Charlie Watts. Oh, he passed away. That's right. Yeah, and, you know, it's sad. But, man, I'm telling you what, he was like the coolest dude you you ever met. He was he was colder than a than a uh, you know Eskimo's toenails. I mean, he was cold. Well, that's royalty. That's rock royalty for sure. Wow, that's pretty cool. Let's let's talk about the games yesterday. With the first game, I wonder, in your opinion, Jeff, was Philadelphia that much better than San Francisco, or was the injury to Brock Purdy kind of setting the tone? Eleven penalties and so on. I think there were a lot of things when you when you go back at this, and I think if San if San Francisco, you know, looks at it objectively and goes back in and really sorts out some things. There were some critical things that they did wrong in the game. The first one, and I said this on the broadcast, you've got Hassan Reddick who comes into the game with 17 and a half sacks, second most in the league to Bosa. Um, uh, you know, he's he is the potential to to wreck your game, and the sack that he got to take to get Purdy out of the game, he's rushing against a backup tight end in Tyler Croft. And then the second sack that he gets where he pulled, actually that should have been a fumble and ball gone to the Eagles when he sacked Johnson, he's rushing against Juwan Johnson, a wide receiver. Now, football at the highest level, and, you know, even high school and college football now, it's all about matchups. How do I get my best guy against your not as good a guy, right, without help? Well, the, the scheme, what they did, the, call, the play call by Shanahan, allowed them to isolate the best pass rusher, the Eagles' best pass rusher, against the guy. Think about it. How many how many reps in practice do you think a wide receiver or a tight end gets in pass protection? Why? Not very many ever. And now in the biggest moment, on the biggest stage, you put a guy out there and ask him to perform, you know, that's that's not on the player. That's on the coach allow that to happen? Wouldn't they be aware of those matchups right away and do something about it or make some adjustments earlier on? Well, I think what happens in, and this is a danger in coaching, is you, you can get on a, you can get in a blackboard, you can get on a, you know, a grease board, and you can draw things that, you know, on paper they work. Yes, you had him accounted for, right? Croft had the block, and it was a play-action pass. The protection was such that, it was Croft against him. They were in they were in a personnel group with two tight ends, and Croft was supposed to be a guy blocking him, and he can't make that. He's just not going to make that block. Ten out of ten times, he's not going to make that block. And then the worst one was when they asked Juwan Johnson to come in and, and block him. And, you know, that's just overthinking the game, in my opinion, right? And, again, I'm not criticizing Shannon because Shannon's a great play caller and a great football coach but sometimes all of us in this hell against a very good very very good number one in the league good san francisco 49er defense why because they did what they do which is power football inside i thought isaac samalo whose dad joe you guys remember played at the university of hawaii i thought he played an outstanding game at right guard lane johnson was you know, he showed why he was the best right tackle in football. 
Jordan Mailata, who's an Australian kid that, that was drafted in the seventh round and had never played football, you know, showed again. He's a great run blocker, and you go back and look at the tape. And there were a number of times Gainwell or Saunders or, you know, they were at the second level before they were even touched by a San Francisco defender. Yeah, and I think I think what helps too is if you have three Pro Bowl, three out of your five <laughs> offensive linemen are in the Pro Bowl. That helps a lot too. Yeah, you know what? And give Howie Roseman a lot of credit because yeah. you look at that. You look at the Eagles roster, and ten of eleven of their starters are guys that were drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. Right, that's the draft and development that is, in my opinion, the best way to build your football team. Because they, they, you get them from the time they come in as rookies, and then you build them, that you grow them inside your program, and that doesn't. That's the same thing is true with college football. Because if you bring a kid in and and he knows your way and only your way, then I think you got a much better chance of getting the finished product that you want. Jeff Reinbold joining us here on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia Hotline. You think about also with Howie Roseman in Philadelphia, two Super Bowls in five years, two different head coaches, two different starting quarterbacks. How rare is that? You know, it's amazing. And he, you know, his guy that he's been through the political battles of football at the highest level. He got in a power struggle with Chip Kelly and lost, and was actually banished from the building. They put him in a, right. you know, they took his office out of the out of you know, the center where the, you know, the coaches' offices are in the locker rooms and all that, and they put him over in the, in the side building. And he, he didn't, you know, he didn't throw up his hands and say, poor me. He just kept his nose to the grindstone and kept working and kept working and kept working. And you look at what he's done. To go out and draft Jalen Hurts in the second round when you've already got, quote, a franchise quarterback, that to me is a guy that says good enough isn't good enough. We have got to get better, and we're going to draft and build our team to be better. And, you know, I, I really think that he deserves a great deal of credit. Jeffrey Laurie, sure, as, as the owner of the, of the whole thing, but Howie Roseman, I think, deserves an awful lot of credit for building that, what is right now one of the two or three best rosters in the NFL. And they've shown it all year long. Kansas City with a last-second field goal to beat Cincinnati. Your thoughts on that game? Well, I thought, you know, it was a tremendous job. Uh, obviously, Patrick Mahomes really, I think, cemented his legacy as you know, one of the greatest to ever play the position. And here he is this young in his career. You know, there was all the talk about Burrowhead, and Joe Burrow was 3-0 and against him, and, you know, when you're talking about high-level athletes, you know, pro players, highest-level players, they have a tremendous amount of ego and pride. And you could sense that not only Patrick but the whole organization really took that as a kind of a slap in the face. And you heard Kelsey, you know, call out the mayor of Cincinnati, and he called out, you know, this ain't Burrowhead. I won't go into the language. Right. But, you know, you could sense that that meant something to those guys. They got pride. I mean, this is an organization that has, has won a Super Bowl. And, you know, I think that it was a tremendous game. I, I thought Burrow played extremely good. He got caught in a situation where you lose three starting offensive linemen. It is really, really difficult. And, you know, after a week for you know, Steve Spagnuolo to see the way they built their protections, 
you know, one of the things I thought was genius in the game, and I did not hear anybody say it, talk about it, when it got to be a long down and distance situation, third and five or more, immediately they would take Chris Jones and they'd move him wherever they want him, but they would play three defensive ends and take a tackle out of the game. Now, to me, that's great coaching because you're not, you're not caught by the fact that, oh, I've got to have a tackle in the game. Why have a tackle in the game when you know it's 90% throw in that situation? Get all your pass rushers on the field, and you saw what happened. Last week, you know, Leslie Frazier from Buffalo played more traditional defense. You know, this is what we do. We're a cover-two team or a four-down team. And, you know, Burrow ate them alive, and they, didn't, they never sacked him once. What Spagnola did with coverage over the top of the best rushers he had available to him, didn't matter what position they played, the best rushers on the team playing at, in, in those situations allowed him to sack him. Christ, they got him on the ground three times in the first quarter. It's interesting how that played out. Who do you like in the Super Bowl? Well, I think right now you got to say Philadelphia because they're number one. They're healthier, and you know Pat's going to have two weeks, which is certainly going to help him. But you know, you look at the end of the game, and it was good to see Marcus Kemp get in there and get an opportunity to catch a ball late in the game. But they were really crippled up. I thought you know Andy Andy Reid has done a tremendous job in the two games they played in the playoffs of managing the game as the game goes on. When Pat got hurt in the first game, he changed what they did. You know, they were trying to run the wide zone to work at on the on the edges of Jacksonville, and Pat couldn't get the ball to the back because he was hurt. So what did he do? He started throwing bubble screens and perimeter stuff. It's another way of attacking the edges that your quarterback can do. And then last night, he loses all his receivers. I mean, he was down to basically the nubs of his, of his roster, and he found a way to mix and match personnel groups so that they could continue to move the football. And, you know, that to me is, you know, the kind of coaching that so many times, you know, the average fan doesn't appreciate because the game goes too fast and, you know, the analyst doesn't really take the time with it. But think about it. He lost his top three receivers in the game, right? And so he's out there playing like, I don't know how many snaps Marcus has gotten all year, but in the critical moments of the game, Marcus is out there playing to go to the Super Bowl. And it's a credit to him that he performed, and it's a credit, in my mind, a bigger credit to Andy Reid that he was able to adjust his scheme to succeed with the players that he had. Yeah, really great game, really dramatic right down to the end. Jeff, hey, if you see Ringo Starr, tell him we said hello if he's walking around London. Thank you so much for your insight. Uh, can't wait to get back to Hawaii. Spring practice is not that far away. Looking forward to it, man. I tell you what, it's going to be a new team in town next year. Uh, we're going to be bigger, faster, more violent. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. right Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Aloha. All right. Thank you. Jeff Reinbold joining us here on ESPN Honolulu from London via the Aloha Kia hotline at Aloha Kia. Yeah, you know a guy. It's uh, 649. Time to check our traffic. We'll be right back with more on ESPN Honolulu. You know, you say fly, Eagles fly. What do the Chiefs say? Besides, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> they were specifically told by Roger Goodell to cut that stuff out. 
it's offensive to Native Americans. I'm not joking. It's something that they said a couple of years ago. You know, they the the um, they took away. They asked them not to do that tomahawk chalk, but um, I guess they're not having any of that in Kansas City. Well, the fans aren't aren't uh, really obligated to uh, listen to Roger Goodell. No, I know, but I it's but the reason they're doing it is that it's it's racist, but sure, they I still know. do it. Um, you know, there was some play, there's an article at uh, ESPN.com about questionable plays um in this game and one of them that came up i thought was fantastic i didn't think it was questionable i was waiting for him to do it again travis kelsey catches the ball uh on the uh out on the right uh flat there well actually it was a little more down the field catches the ball about 10 yards down the field and i think it was jarek mckinnon who was rounding out outside to receive a lateral like the, the hook and ladder play, right? Yeah. And they tried it. It was just a bad pitch. And so, and I think it was actually kind of a forward pitch as well. But it was, um, which would have been illegal because that would have been a forward pass. But I liked the attempt. And it looked like they were going to run that again. And he didn't pitch it the second time uh, a few minutes later. But I never saw it again. But I thought that was a great play because it's not something you expect in a first quarter or whenever. I think it was in the first quarter when it happened. That's a good point. I mean, uh, Niner did some trick plays in the fourth quarter, but they did it out of desperation, and none of them worked. When they had, like, the double what lateral. I don't remember. They had, uh, it was like, a Christian McC- one of them was Christian McCaffrey lining up in the Wildcat. He got the snap, handed off to somebody. They handed off, I think the Debo was involved, back to McCaffrey for the third handoff, and he threw a pass oh, yeah. to, like, nobody. Nobody was anywhere near that pass. And they did another yeah, one, like, a few he- plays later, similar to that. Did he throw it away, and did he get called for intentional grounding? No. Am I remembering? Not in that play, no, he did, I but can't he, remember. No. But uh, that, I guess there was nothing else for the Niners to do in their situation. For, yeah, for like, the beginning of a game, especially a playoff game like that, you very rarely see something like that. I rem- the only time I remember a trick play like that in a big game was the Super Bowl Bears and Saints, and I think Sean Payton started the second half with an onside kick, and it worked. But other than that, in big games like that, you figure coaches are going to be a little bit more careful or conservative, maybe, if that's the right word. Yeah. But anyway, I'd be curious, uh, taking a little straw poll here, who is Hawaii rooting for now in the Super Bowl? And I'm guessing it, this, this is a Kansas City Chiefs state when it comes to the, down to these final two teams. I think that uh, Philadelphia is just too far away. I root for... Somebody like Jalen Hurts, who is a great guy, and he's a great story. But at the same time, I root for Marcus Kemp so that he can get another Super Bowl ring because he has one already, right? Yep. Get another Super Bowl ring. You don't see him a lot. You don't see Kemp a lot on offensive plays. He came in as a receiver because of the injuries yesterday. And you might not see, you probably not see him if everybody's healthy on the field as a receiver. But the reason Marcus Kemp is still on that football team and the reason he's been in the NFL for so long now is he's a great special teams player. Uh, You heard me mention earlier a little trivia question, who was the last guy to touch the ball? Well, it was Marcus Kemp on that kickoff or punt. Was it kickoff? It was a kickoff Kickoff. with three seconds left. Marcus Kemp actually ended up with the ball. I don't know if the whistle had blown already, but I did say he was the last guy to touch the ball on the field. Yeah, but uh, you know what? Good for him. Back where he belongs. I remember before Patrick Mahomes was starting, 
and the uh, starting quarterback was uh, what's his name? Gosh, the guy with Andy, the... Uh, Alex Smith, not Andy. Alex Smith. Alex Smith was the starting quarterback, and uh, um, during the preseason games, that was when Marcus saw a lot of action. That was when Patrick Mahomes. It's like Marcus Kemp was Patrick Mahomes' favorite receiver. Uh, you know, because uh, he didn't get a chance to play with the first string, but uh, that was kind of cool. All right, we've got our top stories and more uh, coming up, including uh, University of Hawaii signing a, uh, a pretty good uh, JC defensive backs as we head into the um, um, National Letter of Intent Day coming up on Wednesday. We'll be right back on ESPN Honolulu. National Bubble Wrap Day. Yeah, it's the animals here in the morning on ESPN Honolulu. By the way, this is the anniversary of the COVID outbreak. It's exactly three years since the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus outbreak an international public health emergency. It was 11 days later they came up with COVID-19. It stood for coronavirus disease of 2019 i actually didn't even know that but uh it was it was eventually declared good for you it was eventually declared a global pandemic in march 11th 2020 so uh not not a great day to remember but hey you know what as we uh as we go through this thing called life it's just one of those things that we get lived through i mean imagine covid and 9 11 I mean, masks, even today, are a normal thing in our life. As long as, as well as, I mean, going with the pandemic and the terrorists, going the different uh, uh, things you got to do to go through an airport nowadays. Man, times were a lot simpler before the year, before the two, year 2000, 2001 hit. It really is. We've come a long way, though. So, is it still considered a uh, pandemic, or is it down to an epidemic now? I'm not even sure. I uh, I couldn't tell you. I could just say it's a part of life and something that we live with. Probably All right, our top forever. stories today. We mentioned earlier, University of Hawaii football team. Thank you uh, to the star advertiser and Stephen Sai. They've uh, secured a commitment verbally, because you can't sign until Wednesday. One of the top junior college defensive backs in California, DeMarco Nunu Morer of Riverside City College, uh, told Stephen that he's accepted a scholarship from the Rainbow Warriors. And uh, his name is Nunu because that was a childhood nickname. Uh, He was uh, the first, uh, I guess he was the newest baby to the family, so they kept calling him Nunu. Oh, hello, Nunu. (laughs) Oh, Nunu. Hello, Nunu. Sorry, I just wanted to get away with a little baby talk on the air. Anyway, he's 6'1", 185. Uh, let's see, he last he had nine interceptions. He's a ball hawk. I uh, made 50 tackles, 5-0. Wow. Not sure you want your defensive back making 50 tackles in a season. 35 solo stops, broke up five passes, and had four and a half tackles for loss. He's 6'1", 185, as I mentioned. Uh, got other offers from New Mexico State, Eastern Illinois, Akron, and La Tech. 
so Wednesday, National Letter of Intent Day, and I'm not sure the exact number I'll find out, but I think they had like something like five or six somewhere in that as far as available scholarships, somewhere around there, after the are early asking, signing period. Are you asking me or telling me? I don't know. Both. I'm more asking. We'll double-check them. I know that, obviously, you know, it's interesting because usually, and it's always the first Wednesday in February, usually the first Wednesday in February is an enormous day for college football, enormous. And even though you've had the early signing period for three, four years now, it still has been a big deal in February. But each year it gets less and less important because we're seeing way more players commit and sign in December. And for this year, I mean, usually the week of signing day, there's a lot of hype. I haven't really heard anything about the hype. Very little, I guess. But it just shows how things have changed, again, just in a small amount of time, short period of time. Yeah, it's really the day that people, you know, the good players are still trying to work out some NILs. Whatever happened with that quarterback where Florida released him because he was promised to NIL, it didn't happen. They released him from his scholarship. Did he commit to somewhere else verbally? I believe he did. Tanner might know that, but I I believe he did commit somewhere else. He did not yet. Okay. Okay, sorry. Um, all right, but anyway, I mean, he's trying to work out an NIL with somebody. But, um, yeah, so uh, I'd be curious to see what else. You know, if we could get some defensive linemen, I mean some studs, studs that are going to pressure the quarterback. We don't have that very often here. And once in a while we'll have one guy. Yeah. But, I mean, if you can get a, a couple of guys on the end or some stud up the middle, replace Blessman to Allah. I mean, that's really what uh, Coach Timmy's been looking for. Nice to get another Darius Muisau, Jonah Laulu, some one of those types of players would be nice to have in the team. But uh, I know they got a few guys in the early signing period on the yeah. D line. How 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 well did I'm not I'm not dissing anybody, but when you mentioned, I'm thinking of guys like uh, oh the, the the undersized guy from Mililani. I'm thinking of Al Noga. I'm thinking of Colin Scotts. Th- those kinds of guys on the defensive line. Jonah Laulu, besides having looking the part of a great football player, he didn't do much defensively. He wasn't like a big-time pass rusher for Hawaii. Probably not a pass rusher. I, I, I heard but that's what his job is. I, I remember people saying before he went to Oklahoma that he, had a good, he was an NFL-type player. Yeah, but I didn't see it on the field. I mean, maybe I'm just not seeing it. It's like watching Paul George play for Fresno State. I didn't see it. Uh, yeah. He was. And maybe he had the tools to be an NFL player. But For example, maybe he'd do real well at the Combine. But I, we didn't see it on the field. How many sacks a year did he have? Not many. Not many. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I, yeah. If we can go out and get somebody who, who's, a, who's, you know, a Kennedy to Tuimasealii, somebody like that, uh, without the off, the, without you know the other things that happened. I mean, if you can get a guy like that, that's a guy I'd like to. That's that's what Coach Timmy and his staff are looking for. In a perfect world, you'd be good to get you know. I forget the first name of Ferguson from Lot Tech. When you get like a middle, you know, group of five type player, so to speak, that's going to go to a group of five school, and you can get somebody yeah. like that talented. Well, great, that but. guy is he even in the NFL anymore? He had was he it Jalen had, Ferguson. Uh, he had mental issues, and he's something happened to him that wasn't real positive uh, last year, I believe. But let's move on with our headlines. Congratulations to the University of Hawaii Rainbow Warrior volleyball team. They get it done on the road, mostly with depth. Now, this three-game uh, road uh, tournament or road trip or uh, whatever it was, just a, okay, three-game road trip in North Carolina 
it was against three teams who had a combined two wins. Uh, so Hawaii got to go out and get tra- uh, get used to, used to traveling on the road together, as well as uh, getting their depth a lot of playing time. Uh, Alaka Itad, 13 kills, 13 of the slam downs uh, against Barton on uh, Saturday, I believe. Yeah. Sunday. Saturday. Saturday. Friday. What day? Over the weekend. It was Saturday. And you comment? Well, easy wins really all week long on the road. They'll have this week off. Then they go to Stanford, and that's going to be a lot tougher. But I think it is good to get some of these road trips, not really out of the way, but done before conference play starts for some of the new players, even though many of these players were from last year's team, of course. I'm hoping it will help their RPI a little bit. Again, with the competition not seeing seeming that strong. I'm not sure if it'll help in that aspect, but it's good to get some again, road games. There might not be many other opportunities for their backups to play, so that was good for that as well, in case they are needed later on. And the Rainbow Wahine and men's basketball team, uh, both victorious, but the men, barely. Yeah, they have a coach. When they win by three, but Henson hit a three right at the buzzer. He was really good, I thought. Travis Henson, the left-hander. And uh, so, you know, they made it a little bit closer at the end, but it still was close because with a six and a half, six fifty left, they were down by four, fifty four to fifty. So it was a little too close for comfort. Hawaii had a big drought offensively in the second half, over nine minutes without a field goal, and only two of eleven shooting the first twelve and a half minutes of that second half. And again, Bakersfield, give them credit with only eight guys to come back like that. Uh, it shows his and no point guard. That's well, crazy. They, the guy from Rome is a backup point guard, and he was only playing, I believe, in the second game of the year. Pontonio. Uh, Pautonio. Yeah, right, but he how, how much did he play? Uh, he played a significant amount. I mean, again, they didn't really have any other guy, so he, everybody played and played a lot in that game. So uh, he wasn't that he wasn't very good, but, again, he's one of their guys who might be able to play. He only played 18 minutes. Yeah. And he, it was like he came – he's the, one of those guys that looked like he came in at the end of the game just to foul somebody because he kept switching him in and out. But, uh, anyway, the uh, Rainbow Wahine – uh, they are led, again, by uh, Lily Wahine-Kapu and uh, Melani McBee with their victory on the road over um, over uh, Cal State Bakersfield as well. And uh, really what the big subject is today, because it just happened yesterday, is, well, we've got it. We're, we're set for the Super Bowl. Yeah, the Eagles are favored by, I believe, two and a half under overs of 49 and a half. It'll change. I, I, I'd like to. The two-week gap between the championship and the Super Bowl, I only like because teams can get healthy. Uh, because this whole week, and I go through this every year, at least from my vantage point, yeah, we're going to hear just... 20 reasons why the Eagles will win. <laughs> the next day we'll hear 20 reasons why the Chiefs will win. And, and that's fun. For it's con- but it's conversation. It's conversation. Everyone has their own opinion. Everyone had their own opinion who would win yesterday. For example, my opinion was the Chiefs and the Eagles were going to win. Your opinion was the losers were going to win. Yeah. Every so isn't that fun? <laughs> Everyone get, kind of gets their own, you know. But I, that didn't go thought. on for two weeks. That I mean, I think it, there's too much hype. I'd rather just have the game in a way from that, you know, looking at it that way. And I know that's part of the deal. The week of the Super Bowl. Well, then don't talk about it then. I'll talk about it. You just okay. you just listen. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> and there's nothing else to talk about. People are dying for content leading up to it. I no, get but, it. But I'm not talking about that. You and I aren't going to break down the teams for like three hours on a show and do the same thing every day for the next 12, 13 days. And that's what I hear a lot of. And it's almost like offsetting. 
Because mm. we'll hear some of the shows, again, they're just going to have all the reasons why the Chiefs will win, and then it'll go to the Eagles. And it's just, again, that's the bad thing about two weeks between the games, to me at least. Well, because that's what people want to hear. That's why they do it. No, there's it's nothing a little, else to it, talk about. Oh, sure, there's things to talk about, but that's what, wanna pe- that's what people want to hear. Now, most people don't listen to the radio for three hours a day. Most people, in depending on what city you're community in, community in might listen for 20 to 30 minutes an entire day. So those are the people they're trying to read. I'll teach you about radio after this. It's more but, about TV, though, when I say that. Okay. The um, Well, yeah, I guess some people watch a little bit too much TV, and they should be outdoors playing sports <laughs> instead. Okay. This, you talked about the line at two and a half. Philadelphia is at two and a half last time I checked. The, it has been so volatile. It, it started with KC at one, then it was a pick'em, then it was Philly by one, and then it went back to a pick'em, and then it went to Philly by one again, Philly by one and a half, Philly two-point favorites, and then it ended up at Philly at 2.5. That's in 12 Man. hours, basically. Wow. That's crazy. All right. Uh, who's on the line there? Uh, John's calling in. Hi, John. Hey, how's it going? Hey, by the way, I was Hello? rooting for the Bengals yesterday. Yes, hello. Hey, John, Hi, John. go ahead. Yeah, I was rooting for the Bengals yesterday. And, I, you know, there was a point during that game. I have guys at work that say that, all oh, these games are all rigged and they decide who wants to win or something. <laughs> I do not agree with that. The Bengals lost because uh, Joe Burrow got tackled a few men too many times. But, uh, um, you know, that there was a point in the game where that officiating was, like, weird, man. Like, in, I, I don't know, third quarter or something, uh, the, it's like Kansas City had the ball. It was something like uh, a a third and seven, and the um, Bengals stopped them. And the referee said, "No, we weren't ready. You got to do it over." And then and then they do it over, and they call a penalty on them. I mean, for those guys, I'm kind of feeling like uh, I'm in the twilight zone or something a little bit because, uh, like, what in the heck is going on here? I mean, you know, because I don't believe in that other theory, but I'm just saying, is it? It felt kind of pretty weird. That was a pretty weird sequence, and I don't think that uh, Kansas City scored any points as a result of that. But uh, you, 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 for did. a second, you kind of felt like the, reg, the refs were trying to figure out a way to give them the game. They did the right thing. If you, re- I read about it last night because I was wondering about that as well. When the ball got spotted after an incomplete pass, it got spotted incorrectly, but the clock started moving. The one official started running towards the center of the field, but they couldn't hear him with the whistle because of the crowd, and he was trying to stop the play before it started. Because the ball was spotted incorrectly, the play can't start. So they did the exact right thing there. And for the penalty after that, blamed blamed the uh, Cincinnati Bengals for that. But they did. It was unfortunate. It didn't result in points. But they did exactly the right thing. So, And I, I was kind of critical in a way at first wondering about it. But when you hear that, it makes total sense. They did the right thing at that time. Well, I, I get you. But it, just, it was like a bad look. But anyway, uh, <laughs> no, basically uh, number 69 on the defense for uh, Kansas City was the reason that uh, – the Bengals lost, but I'm just, you know, because he was, he was in Burrow's uh, pocket like too, too many times, but, uh, um, you know, I think if Joe Burrow would have been standing up right like a few more times for a few more seconds, uh, um, just like the Super Bowl last year, it's like, it, gosh, if they can protect this guy, they can win, but uh, I don't know what they got to do. They got to do something so that this guy can uh, 
like not be laying on his back, and uh, they'll probably win more of these uh, high-end games. But yeah. anyway, hey. uh, thanks a lot, guys. Hey, Thanks. have a great week, John. Thank you. But, yeah, they I mean, there was just injuries that did in the offensive line. They were doing okay. And they were doing crazy things like putting Hayden Hurst, lining him up like a running back in the backfield to just help protect Joe Burrow. But, um, yeah, I mean, Chris Jones is one of the top, you know, I, I would say in, on my list, if I was going to make a list, the second best defensive player this year in the NFL behind uh, Micah Thomas. Micah Thomas? Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons. Mike Thomas uh, be- is third. Behind Micah, Th- Micah Parsons, I would put Chris Jones with the, you know, Aaron Donald's good. He didn't have that great a year this year. Right. So I would uh, put him there. All right. Uh, Harold, are you still there? Hey, good morning, animals. Hi. Good morning. Hey, you know, after I, um, I, I heard about Marcus Kemp, you know, going back to the Super Bowl, I kind of did a little internet research on him, not knowing that he played when Norm Chow was at UH. And yeah. that kind of kind of was surprising and I was I'm not sure if you are aware or not, but if um was kind of Norm Chow of you know responsible for bringing Marcus Kemp from wherever to yeah. UH. And then also looking at his stats for the years that he was at UH, he didn't even have a single touchdown. You know, so it's really kind of well, no, no, he did. He he had touchdowns. I I remember one specifically as that last play of the game against UNLV. That was a touchdown that uh-huh. won the game. But, oh, okay. You know what? I remember from Marcus Kemp, and it's it's kind of lousy of me to say this. He dropped so many footballs. I mean, hit so many balls like hit him right between his right in the chest. It was crazy. And then you know what? But he has the speed. He's got the size. And he developed the hands, but he's on. He's been playing in the NFL for a long time. And those, yeah, even if you're on the practice squad, those practice squad guys make. What do they make? Like we looked it up, the Gary, something like three hundred thousand dollars a year, or something. Right around like there, that. yeah, yeah, five hundred thousand yeah. a year, something like that. Well, I, I, my my, I guess my my question is, is, you know, for a guy like Marcus Kemp, and I'm not saying anything really negative, but it's okay. It, it's just his his journey. From UH, where he really didn't seem to be, you know, like one of the main receivers per se, but how how he ended up kind of surviving. It's you know, special from, teams. From those, it's spe- it's special know, from teams. Those, from those he's teams. a really good. He's a really good special team player. So when the uh, Super Bowl comes, watch like on the kick team. I I I'm guessing he's on the punt team as well. But watch, you know, look for number 85. He's going to be down around the ball carrier every single time. Okay, well, I'm rooting for him. Thank you. Right on. Thanks. Yeah, me too. I think, I mean, that's our connection, man. Plus, uh, you know, I think that um, for some reason Kansas City is closer to Hawaii than Philadelphia. I think I think a lot of people are going to be rooting for the Chiefs. And, you know, who's not to love, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes? Sure. I mean, you know, he's a little injured, a little banged up right now. All he needs is another uh, uh, a, a jazz bath, and he'll be okay. You know, I mean, I, I think that um, um, Coach Reed, Andy Reed's got to stop drawing mustaches on people's faces. <laughs> you know, you don't want to come off the plane. And it's like, hey, look, it's Raleigh Fingers. No, it's Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> they they got to deal with their own uh, internal yeah. issues there. But anyway, 20 minutes after the hour, let's check the traffic. Be back with your calls and texts. At 808-296-1420, it's the Sports Animals in the Morning on ESPN Honolulu. 
I hear this, I hear uh, Kelly Boy singing, and I love the song, and I love Capenna, and, but all I can think of is, hey, get your own Ford. <laughs> I went to my son's house uh, to watch the game yesterday, and on the back of his uh, license plate frame, it says, hey, get your own Ford. I was like, oh, I love that. Sorry, I'm just entertaining myself this morning. <laughs> Good morning, 725. Weather-wise, uh, got rain today, a chance of thunderstorms again. It'll be cloudy tonight. Winds out of the northeast at 10 to 15 miles per hour. We're taking your calls and texts at 808-296-1420. And I don't know. Let's see. Here we go. It was a bonehead play. Uh, Mahomes was clearly out of bounds when Osai sensibly pushed Mahomes that drew a 15-yard penalty and essentially cost the Bengals the game. Teammates will tell Osai, uh, Osai the right things, but I believe it's blamed Osai's penalty that cost them the game. Christmas is over, but Osai gave the Chiefs an unexpected gift. Now, that was with, what, eight seconds left. Yeah. And they could have maybe, you know, squeezed out a play and tried to make a touchdown, but they were in. You I need was, a uh, touchdown. I was telling uh, the folks I was talking about. No, I know. But that, that's true. But um, I was telling the you got to get to the forty, what did I seven? You got to get to the thirty yard line. Got to get to the thirty yard line. Got to get to the thirty yard line. That'll make it a forty seven yard field goal. Well, it was uh, actually a forty five yard field goal, and uh, it was no problem for Butker. But that was it. You know what? It cost him the game, and you can't say well the last play of the game doesn't cost him the game. But if you didn't do that, maybe the game goes into overtime and you win in overtime. You can yes. say that. Yes. Can't right. you? No, you're right. There's no guarantee if it goes to overtime they win. It's just that the game basically was taken away from them on a penalty. Remember a few minutes earlier, Kansas City had a fourth and I think eight or seven, and oh. they punted. It would have been a 55-yard field goal. It was a tie game. I, I was surprised. I get they didn't. I, I know Butker was coming off an injury from a few weeks ago, but for him to get a 55-yard field goal, it was cold, but it didn't seem that windy. I was a 45-yarder. I don't know if it would have been good for 55, so I'm surprised they didn't go for it then, which means, again, if Mahomes doesn't get or KC doesn't get that penalty, I don't think they're going for a field goal. Then right. Well, they were, no choice. Right. They, had, they were at the 50. He got out of bounds at the 50, so it would have been a 67-yard field goal. Um, uh, thank you for the text. It says, uh, <laughs> how about them Chiefs is a saying I've been hearing. How about them Chiefs? Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Jalen Ferguson was the Ravens and passed away last year. Thank you for the text. Earlier, Gary, we were talking about uh, Hawaii's needs, the University of Hawaii football team's needs in this upcoming uh, uh, National Letter of Intent Day on Wednesday. He said, knew we'd pass rusher. Gary mentioned Ferguson. I said, yeah, but something happened in the offseason that wasn't good. I didn't realize he died. Yeah, I forgot Wow, such too. a young man. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's one. I wonder how many Niner fans called out from work today. How many Niner fans called in sick? I mean, I, it's tough, but again, I, I think Cincinnati fans are probably more distraught than Niners fans. Because the Niners, I mean, it was unfortunate. You can't blame the refs. You can't blame anything because the injuries is what took you out of that game. 
uh, for Cincinnati to lose on the way the way they did. I'm sure more people in Cincinnati would be calling it sick. Maybe the Niners fans. And it, again, it, it stinks the way it ended for them. But you know, they know when they're healthy, they probably could have won that game or at least had a better chance. Yeah, I, yeah, that was it was unfortunate for that that way to end. But you know what? At least they know. Hey, um, we, it was Josh Johnson. Well, Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson only played. It seemed like just a few plays anyway when he got when he got concussed. And he fumbled. Then he fumbled the ball right before halftime. That led to the Eagles touchdown again. The game in the twenty-one. I don't. Re- I don't remember. I don't remember. But um, it was a lot of. That was a lot of sitting around. That was tough to do. I mean, I enjoyed watching football, but again, I mean, that's like seven hours of just sitting. But if they're a dramatic close game, then you'd probably. I, I would love it. But I don't even. The first game got boring. It's Second hard for me to watch. It's great. hard for me to watch a television for seven hours. It really is. <laughs> it is for me too. But again, if, if both game, if the if the first game was like the KC Cincy game, I would have loved every minute of it. But it wasn't. The KC Cincy game was boring up until the end of the game. But it was close at least. So you it didn't know who was going to win. Three. Yeah, you didn't know who was going to win. But at the same time, it was boring. I mean, come on. You're thinking, you know, Kansas City Chiefs, Cincinnati Bengals, high-flying offenses, yeah, yeah. great offensive players. You know that they. I think the Bengals had a fourth and eight, and they threw that pass down the uh, down the middle of the field. Jamar Chase catches it in the air, uh, jumping over two guys at about the five yard line. Great. I mean, there weren't enough of that. Yeah, you're it right. Was, it was just, it was it was boring. Come on. But the, the first game until the guy be, pushed somebody out of bounds. Score was they were still within reach, two touchdowns down. But you knew they weren't going to score much, if at all, and they didn't. All right. Uh, oh, Bobby Curran just texted in. Uh, that should be one of our top stories. Bobby yes. Curran and uh, others, Nani Cockett and others. I don't remember all of them off the top of my head. Uh, are going to be inducted into the circle of honor. So I texted Bobby. And I said, Bobby, congratulations. He said, thanks, Chris. Hang around long enough, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Well, we want you to hang around long enough. All right. Okay, back to it. Uh, 808-296-1420. Let's take a couple more texts, and then we'll get a uh, check on the surf this morning. Uh, This texter says, aloha. I still rather take Tua over Burrow. I love Tua Tonga-Vailoa, but I love me some Joe Burrow, man. Yeah. You hear what Patrick Mahomes said after the game? At first, okay, because at first people were talking about, and whoever came out and named Arrowhead Burrowhead, number one, why would you do that? Why would you do that? I mean, to give, I mean, look, both teams are motivated to win. You just gave them extra motivation yep. to keep on, you know, when they're getting tired or whatever during the game. It's in the fourth quarter. Those kinds of things keep you moving forward. And it was like, they, I mean, <laughs> Travis Kelsey, what he said afterwards to the Cincinnati mayor was funny. And even, but what, but, yeah. what, what, um, what, what Patrick Mahomes said on the field when he's being interviewed, he's like, yeah, sorry, I don't have any cigars to celebrate, but I think we'll be okay next week or right. whatever. It was, right. Of course, he was, it was taking a, a, a jab at Joe, Joe Cool, Joe Burrow. And they had the right to do that. I mean, with all the talk, I mean, you're right. It was stupid of Cincinnati to do that. I don't, I don't think it was the whole team. But so, and, and after the game, you hear that KC was really not really upset, but they were really, like you said, motivated by it and bothered by it. They just didn't want to get into it in a verbal a war of words in the media. So they were smarter than Cincinnati. They just kept it among themselves, and it helped them a little bit. All right, here's uh, one more text uh, from the six two three. 
Uh, apparently that's in Phoenix. PJ, how's it going? Thanks for listening. Uh, PJ says, if you see that last punt return for KC, Kemp may have shielded a penalty and even may have prevented a fall from Bengal that wasn't called block in the back of teammate number 47 would set up big return. I don't remember it. Oh, he's saying that Kemp got away with one. Ah. Wow. That's okay. He's our local boy. Yeah. It's the ref. You know, you can't blame it on our guy. Huh? Thank you very much. All right, uh, we'll check your surf. Be back with more on e- oh, You know what? There's some movement in the coaching ranks in the NFL as well. Also, high school sports going at it. HHSAA got some tournaments on the way, uh, including basketball tonight. Is it basketball or soccer tonight? Well, there's girls' state championship going on, but the boys in the ILH are right to go to the state tournament between Punahou and Marino coming up. All right, we'll be back on ESPN Honolulu. All right, this is later on in the week, but we were talking about uh, some of the high school sports and uh, coming up the HHSAA Girls Basketball State Championships. And that kicks off on Wednesday. Uh, Molokai HPA, Pearl City, Honoka'a Castle, Sacred Hearts, Hanalani. Hey, Hanalani. And uh, McKinley, all in the first round, earning buys HBA, Kapa'a, Kamehameha, Hawaii, and uh, Lanai at uh, number three. Wow, how about that? A lot of neighbor yeah. island action there on the uh, girls' side. And then the D1 side that starts tonight, actually, with four games going on. It'll have Maui uh, playing Radford, and that will be at Maui. Waiakea from Hilo against Kahuku, that game at Waiakea. Moanalua at Kailua, and uh, Kamehameha Kapalama at Kaiser which is the game we will have on CBS 1500 coming up tonight as well. The four teams with the buys are number one seed, Iolani, number two, Konawina, number three, Lahaina Luna, and number four, Campbell. And then on the boys' side, the state tournament doesn't start till the following week, but we have a really important ILH game tonight. We know that St. Louis last week clinched a berth in the state tournament. The second team and the last team out of the ILH was up for grabs over the weekend. Iolani uh-huh. unfortunately lost. So tonight you have a winner-go-home oh. game between Punahou and Marinol. The oh, winner- man. That's that, uh, that's that brutal road trip for Punahou <laughs> that we talked about. They're going to get a police escort. They would say maybe you know they got to walk across the street. <laughs> Sometimes it could be you know a little fatigue waiting for the walk sign. Sometimes it's on the don't walk for quite a while there on is that Wilder Dole whatever street that is I can't remember, but uh, yeah they got to walk. Not only do they have to walk across the street, but the entrance to the gym across the street from their campus is. On the other side of the building, you got to walk around to get in. And I think they designed that for a home court advantage. Smart job the uh, Marino people did. 
I, is, is the game I at think it was Marino? when Glenn Medeiros was there. Was Glenn Medeiros there before? Yeah, he was at Marino before. I think it was Medeiros. He planned it that way. <laughs> I hope the game's there to make that story sound even better. I'm, I'm assuming because they might be the higher seed. But, okay, so the winner of that game will be in the state tournament, but they will also have to play St. Louis tomorrow night for the top overall seed or, yeah, the top spot in the ILA. So the overall ILA championship up for grabs tomorrow, St. Oh, Louis okay. against the winner. And it was, what's important about tomorrow night in addition to tonight is that who wins tomorrow, whoever wins tomorrow will get a bye. Will it be one of the top four seeds in the boys' tournament where the team that loses tomorrow is still in, but you got to play an extra game to win. And I don't know how many times it's happened that a team without a bye has won, but it's very, very rare. Usually the teams that get a bye, you only have to win three games as opposed to four. Makes it a little bit easier if, that's such a, if there's such a thing. Okay, yeah, folks, uh, get, all the, get all the dirt at scoringlive.com. Uh, congratulations, I guess, are in order. For uh, Iolani, as uh, they tied Punahou one-to-one in boys' soccer. So that puts them over the top, uh, and they get the boys' soccer title in the ILH. Congratulations, Raiders. Both teams are in the state tournament. So Punahou, David Trevanovic, a good friend of ours, he is the coach there. He said he, they'd rather have gotten the win, but he's happy to get the tie that they're in the state tournament. It's just that Iolani, just like in basketball, they, by winning the ILH, will get a bye in the first round. Punahou will have to play an extra game to go all the way. But he said they've won two I, state I titles think, that way. Yeah, I think David is a uh, good friend of mine. He's an acquaintance of yours. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait a minute, Chris. I get emails from you get a weekly him. email? Uh, oh, you do too? <laughs> you said you weren't the... getting them last time I told you that. No, you David, David, David's real estate business? Oh, he's... He snagged the radio beat after he left the radio station. He went into real estate and he snagged the email list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Smart guy. Right on. Uh, great man. Great family. Yes. yes. Uh, Kelly Abe, Trafonovich, his wife, uh, just great people. But uh, anyway, I'm sure Ilani has great people. We just don't know them. <laughs> Although everybody at our radio station now wor- is comes somehow is related to somebody or went to Ilani themselves. Did Tanner get we're hired Il- to kind of even in- things out? Yeah, we're we're an Iolani radio station, is what we are, and that's okay. And then I, I wanted to say it doesn't oh. even us out because my grandfather did go graduate from Iolani as well. My brother went to Iolani and Punahou. How's that for a conflict? Wow, because they're rivals, right? Yeah, but he that was a long time. That was when Iolani was an all boys school. I mean, that was a long time ago. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, you didn't know a lot. You weren't. You didn't well, live in Well, yeah, Hawaii. I'm sorry, you're, I wasn't really a, up to date on Iolani being a boys or girls school. Iolani was good in sports. Well, they still I mean, are. Chico Furtado. Ah. You, 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 Chico Furtado played there. I, I know. I, know, I not that. Come on, come on. Well, Chico Furtado went to Iolani when it was on all boys school. Well, I knew he went there. I didn't know there was an all. What I didn't know there was, it was an all boys school back then. I'm sorry that I wasn't up to date on that. That's okay. I know it's okay. That's okay. You're from the you're, you're from the mainland. <laughs> but uh, yeah, high school turn, uh, basketball tournaments are my favorites, and I, I've gone to a number of the girls' tournaments. I've seen Konawina win, Punahou, Iolani. Boys' tournament, I try to make every single one. I've missed only maybe one or two over the last thirty years. I, yeah. I just really, really enjoyed it. It's great, great talent, great competition, and I think this year is going to be the same. And, again, so much up for, for, for grabs. You know how I feel about the ILH. I wish they could get three teams in. 
uh, in football and basketball, but uh, that's why. Yeah, I think but you a- wish you wish that every year. So yeah, it's yeah. time to stop wishing it because no. it's not going to happen. No. Let me get this. Uh, let's move forward here. Uh, girls basketball. Did Tanner mention this on the air? I can't remember if it was in our headphones or on the air. Uh, HHSAA girls basketball first round tonight on CBS fifteen hundred. Kaiser uh, and Kamehameha Kapalama. That's on your radio tonight. Wednesday, we'll have more action as we find out who will be facing. Lahaina Luna and Kona Waina. Okay. Uh, we did not get to some uh, moves in the NFL, but there's some some coaching moves that we got to go over. That's coming up next here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Tonight I dreamt I was returning And my heart Hope you're having a great Monday. Drive safe. We've got some rain going on and in chance of some thunderstorms again today. It's going to be cloudy again tonight, so just drive safely. We'll all get there. You know what? Hawaii is too small a place to speed if you want to get to somewhere on time. If I'm living in in uh, if I'm living in Waipago and I speed down the H1 freeway to get to downtown to work, you're going to get there just as fast if if you drove the speed limit. You really will. Now. On the mainland, if I'm, I got to speed from Seattle to get to Tacoma. I mean, if you got the pedal to the metal, you're going to make some time. Hawaii's not, Oahu's not big enough to speed and to make time. So great point. Let's just all take it, take it easy. Great Man. point. All right, I'm excited. The uh, AFC NFC championship games are done. We've got the Super Bowl coming up in a couple of weeks. In other news. Uh, in the NFL over the weekend, they say, according to sources, the Miami Dolphins are not expected to pursue Tom Brady. So when they said Tua's our guy, maybe they really meant that Tua's their guy, finally. And I still don't totally believe that. Well, uh, who had a better year, Tom Brady or Tua Tagovailoa? Tua, but Tua, to me. Tua's still in concussion protocol. You know, according to the, the headline, he can't play in the Pro Bowl. Well, there is no Pro right. Bowl. I don't know why they put it like that. So I well, just wonder... Tom Brady is in uh, a crap, a crappy player protocol. Not a crappy player. He threw for four, a crappy throw... year. No, he didn't have a crappy year. Did he throw oh, for over sure four thousand yards? How'd the team do? Well, don't blame that on him. <laughs> you think he had a crappy oh. year? No. Oh, you like Tom Brady better than Tua? I, no. I should know better than to bring up local players because I'm always getting pushback from Gary. You own a like, Brady I'm shirt. I'm rooting for the Eagles because I don't like Marcus Kemp. That's what you were saying earlier off the air. There, I told everybody. Uh, you're, 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 as you usually say, and you're correct, I'm a stupid, smelly, stinking liar. Uh, I, I, I think Tua is a great quarterback. I, I, you know I, I, that. What? Well, but what? You're Tom nervous? Brady is a vet. No, if Tom Brady is available <laughs> to them, I wouldn't put it past him. It doesn't matter what they say today. I mean, I Tom Brady retired Tom Brady. last year. His career was over. I do wonder where he's going to end up. And I also wonder about Aaron Rodgers. Because now that the talks are heating up for him going to the Jets, but the Packers are going to want a lot. I don't know how it will work out. It's supposed to be very complicated for the Jets to work it out salary cap-wise and if they're going to want to give it up. But the owner wants him. With Tom Brady, I do wonder as well. But the Miami statement or the statement that came out that Miami will not pursue him, that, I, I mean, it means something, but it doesn't mean, you know, it's definite to me at least. We've seen things that have been mm-hmm. said publicly that aren't true weeks later. You know, the last couple of years in 2020 and 2021, Tom Brady threw for over 40 touchdowns, 40 or more touchdowns. 
This year, 25 touchdowns. It's a little bit of a drop-off. It is. Yeah. I wouldn't call it crappy. 4,000 yards? Yeah, because you're constantly from behind, you know. I mean, it's due for all those yards. You know, give the, the, the receivers getting all that yak. Are you on Giselle's side about as well. all this? You know, uh, you know he... nine interceptions this year, a quarterback rating of 90? Uh, up, up until 2013, this has been his worst year ever. 2013 was a long time ago. How many offensive Brady's linemen done. were out? Done? Done? Brady's He'll done. end up on your Steelers and you'll love it. No way. Well, oh, I know he won't baby. Up there. Pick it to Pickens. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> I like that, too, actually. Mm. I, I do wonder about Brady, and, you know, he did go down. I mean, there's no disputing that, but he's still down good enough. Down Brady. I think, again, he's almost like A-Rod. If you have a team that can maybe win in the next year or two, you go with them. And Miami, I go with Tua, man. I go with Tua. I, I would, too. I don't think you go wrong. Who has the best quarterback rating in the NFL? But, but Tua is not 100% today. Will he be 100%? <sighs> Do they have enough faith that he'll be healthy, or is he going to be injury-prone? Because they do have a team uh, that is close so to So much negativity. I'm not even going to bring up Tua's name anymore because you just spew negativity every time I talk about Tua Tonga-Vailoa. <laughs> I have a Tua Tonga-Vailoa Miami Dolphins shirt. You do not. But anyway. Because they probably don't make it in my size. Is <laughs> I that what you're go going at? No, Come I on. wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. That was low. I, I do. Again, I, I, you know how, how high I, want, I am on Tua, but I, I think if they have a chance to get Brady, I wouldn't put it past them right now. Because, you know, if the ownership, well, just like the owner of the Jets, Woody Johnson, supposedly the owner of the Jets, wants A Rod. I don't know if Robert Sala does. I don't know if Mike McDaniel wants Brady, but if, if the, uh, Stephen Ross wants him, then maybe that happens. I, I know what they're saying publicly, and he probably won't go there. But if, if they don't have faith that Tua, might be 100% or that he's injury prone and you want to maybe take it easy with him for a year, it's not that far-fetched that it could happen. Uh, thank you for the text from the 313. The drop-off is due to no receivers. He's still the GOAT. That's a good statement. Well, and he did have offensive line problems, but then he, so did Tua Tagovailoa, didn't he? Yes, yes. And, and what? But I understand what you're saying. And what does Tanner Hayworth say? Your best ability is your availability. So he's got to stay healthy. I agree with that. They're not, didn't they throw for about the same amount of touchdowns, Tua and Brady? I don't know. I, I forget. I think it was in the mid-20s. You know what? The, the real kind of big news this morning is that uh, if, you're a Cowboys, if you're a Cowboys fan, uh, I guess your team's probably looking for new coordinators. Now, first of all, before I get to Kellen Moore, did Dan Quinn – he didn't go anywhere yet. He said he's staying. He said he interviewed a few places like oh, Denver. He said right. he's staying in Dallas. There's work to be done. Okay. So he's staying in Dallas. Kellen Moore, their offensive coordinator, who did nothing but help Dallas be a very prolific offense, despite Dak Prescott's uh, play, they mutually parted ways. So now uh, Kellen Moore was unemployed for about, 12 hours and now he's the offensive coordinator for the chargers so he got a better quarterback going over to la yeah and i think that was a bad deal by dallas they've gotten rid of about seven assistant coaches since the season ended a little over a week ago and mike mccarthy's going to call plays well be careful what you wish for mike because i don't think he was a great coach before and now he's going to be responsible for the play calling let's see how that works out yeah all right all right our top stories are coming up next here 
It's the Sports Animals in the Morning on this rainy morning on ESPN Honolulu. You know, if we were like on Sirius XM satellite, you could you could play what we talk about during the uh, during the breaks. You see, the show never ends. We got to go away to pay some bills, and we come back, right? And uh, you know, one of the things that I saw I saw on social media, and I didn't think about it until this morning, was that this is the first time in the Super Bowl coming up you have two African American quarterbacks. Right. Playing against starting quarterbacks, playing against each other in the Super Bowl. And I saw that and I thought, really, are we? St- I, 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 it never crossed my mind in preparing for this radio show uh, last night when I came home and, you know, uh, you know, this morning when we woke up. Never in my mind I was going, what color are these quarterbacks? What color? What, what's the color of their skin? I was thinking about Patrick Mahomes in a jazz bath. That's what I was thinking about, <laughs> having a jazz bath. For and, how long? And, well, not that long. <laughs> I went to bed last night thinking of Patrick Mahomes having a jazz bath by the guy that didn't wash his practice jersey. You can tell I watched too many State Farm commercials. <laughs> You've seen that one? The little girl smells his jersey and then she faints? That one I didn't see yet. No, I, I didn't yeah, see that's that an one. old one. That's an old oh. one. But anyway... Uh, now I forgot, but, but I, I, I didn't see that. Right, right. And maybe it's because I'm, you know, my the color of my skin is white, so maybe I don't see that, and it's a good thing. I mean, I think that we don't, do we still talk about whether a quarterback, I, I mean, I can see them saying that when Doug Williams won the Super Bowl, but do we still talk about that now in the NFL? Well, they hey, brought it up. So and so is the quarterback, and well, he's African American. That's the third African American quarterback to play this year for the Baltimore Ravens. Something like, I don't think about that. I don't either. I, I wish it didn't have to be brought up in sports when it's kind of well. And this might sound not politically correct, but it's not. It shouldn't be relevant what the color of their skin is. But I mean, it's brought up, and you know, I, I'm glad you're talking because I felt the same way. Like, is that really necessary to? be mentioned and maybe you know maybe for african americans they're more proud of this and it's a great accomplishment but i mean it's about sports i think to me everybody's equal in sports it's it's away from that's one of the things i love about sports it doesn't have anything to do with what's going on in the real world even though it does cross over obviously too many times and all the moments of silence because what took place in memphis last week and that video release but sports is kind of sacred to me it's separate it's an escape and I wish some of the negative things that go on in real life didn't have to be brought into it. And I know it's inevitable sometimes, but to me, I'm just appreciating the game that these two quarterbacks are great. I don't care if they were white, green, black, any color. I don't care what nationality they are. They're just great quarterbacks, and it's great stories for both of them. And that's what, that's what I look at first and foremost for that kind of a situation. But I don't think it's ever going to go away. And, like, oh, you know, it might be better, the situation, that it's not as big of a deal as it might have been 20 years ago or longer. But it's still out there, I guess. And, again, I'm just appreciating the game. And, you know, there was a time a, a, a time a while back where there was never any white cornerbacks in the NFL. There was, like, one. The guy, Jason Seahorn, was, like, the only white cornerback in the NFL. I mean, why? I mean, I don't think that was a thing. Seven minority quarterbacks, nine African-American 
uh, quarterbacks, two Polynesian starting quarterbacks for in the NFL this year. And I don't know how many backup quarterbacks are minorities or anything like that. But I mean, there's a lot of there's a there there's a lot of minority quarterbacks in the NFL now. There's you know. 80% of the league are minorities in the NFL. Which says a lot because, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. the overall population of the United States probably has more white Caucasian people in it. So right. if there's going to be more white people in a country of 330 million, it would make sense that there's going to be more athletes in a group like the NFL that are Caucasian or white for the same reason. The numbers show that there are more people that are white. I don't. I just wish race didn't have to get brought into sports. And, I, again, I know now, it happens. But what if there were two Polynesian quarterbacks facing each other in the NFL? That would be something. If there were two Asian quarterbacks facing each other in a Super Bowl, that would really be something. I think that would be more of a fun story than a, than a, than a, than a topic about race, where it is for the African Americans. It, it's, it's different. If you had a Polynesian, two, if you had two in Marcus starting in a quarter as a quarterback in the Super Bowl for two different teams, I think it'd be just a fun story to run with. Nobody would be comparing it with any other race or anything like that. Well. And you have to look at the history of, of what's happened in our country, and I think that's why that you bring it up. Again, I don't understand everything about being uh, African-American or Asian because I am not. So I don't want to pretend that I know and I should tell other people what they should be find as uh, interesting news. Is just I'm just saying I thought we were kind of away from that, but yeah. apparently and it's, it's okay. We're not, and it's okay. Uh, seven minutes after, let's start with our headlines. University of Hawaii Rainbow Warriors have committed to or have gotten a commitment from one of the top junior college defensive backs in California. Yeah, I guess it's good news. Uh, one of the things I always look at is the colleges that we're competing with as far as for a player who's making him offers, who's on his finals list. And I'll be honest, it's not the greatest schools, but again, we're a group of five schools, so maybe Louisiana Tech is not a bad program. Eastern Illinois, New Mexico State has actually been a pretty good team this last year, and they're actually expected to be even better next year, which might sound surprising. Hey, they, they went to a bowl twice. game. They were yeah. like, don't poo-poo New Mexico oh. State. They wiped the floor with Hawaii last year. I understand they're undefeated in their school's history in bowl games. I believe they're 4-0 and in bowl games in their history. So they got that going for them. Uh, Akron is the other team. But the and fact then also, he- also, though, if he happened to get, and we're talking about Nunu Moore is his name, from Riverside City College. If, if he happened to get an offer from, say, Oregon State, all of a sudden other schools are going to start making offers. Yeah just because he got an offer from somebody in the Pac-12. Right, right. So I don't look entirely at who offered him. I, I mean, the guy I, yeah. had 6'1", 185 pounds, 50 tackles, five broken, broken uh, bro- he broke up five passes, four and a half tackles for loss. Uh, you know, pretty good player. Nine interceptions. Now, is he a, is he a, is he a safety or a corner? Good question. Doesn't say. We'll find out in the next. I mean, fifty hours, I tackles. I'm wondering if he's a uh, a safety, but we'll find out. Uh, but his uh, his nickname is Nunu. Demarco is his first name. Uh, he's called Nunu because um, Stephen Sy writes in the Star Advertiser uh, that he's uh, it was a, when he was a new baby. Everyone called him Nunu, so that's his name, Nunu. And we'll go with that as well. Well, we don't have Day Day. We don't have Nay Nay. 
At least we got Nunu now. <laughs> Sounds like we're talking about Teletubbies and not University of Hawaii athletes, doesn't it? All right, so congratulations. Uh, by the way, National Letter of Intent Day, the last one, is coming up on Wednesday. We'll keep you posted here on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, good news, the Rainbow Warrior volleyball team won again as expected on the road on Saturday. And both basketball teams won, but barely. Yeah, they barely won, but a win is a win, some people might say. For the men's side, again, it was a lot closer than people thought. They were favored by 16. Bakersfield was missing about four players, two starters. And uh, they were shorthanded with only eight players, which is amazing. And you got to give them credit for coming back in that second half. But you can also say Hawaii did not play a good half, and that's what Iran Gannat said after the game. He was not happy You at could all. say that Hawaii didn't play a good second half is what you just said. Yes. Hawaii played, not you could say, Hawaii played a horrible second half. Hawaii played probably the worst second half we've seen this season. It was an embarrassing second half. Good free throw shooting. 15 of 21 in the second. I'm just half joking on that. Yeah, 0 for 11 on threes. And the thing is, it was one of the it was the, it was the most points they've scored in the first half all year with 45. And then the opposite in the second half, not as far as points scored, but as far as how good they were. They were so dominant in the first half. 60% shooting, 54% on threes, hit all their free throws. They did nothing wrong in that first half, really. And then the second half, it was like to- two totally different teams. And, again, I think offensively, even though they had that long drought, they were they were playing the game the same way. It was just that turnovers cost them, lack of defense cost them, and getting after the 50-50 balls, which always seemed to go to uh, Bakersfield, that hurt them as well. So it was kind of tough that way. And Bakersfield got to within four with six and a half yeah. minutes left, not just at the end of the game, and it did get a little scary at the end. They, they couldn't afford a loss like that. That would have been a devastating loss. Santa Barbara on Thursday hurt. If they would have lost on Saturday after having that lead to a bottom team like Bakersfield, that that would have been that would have been disastrous. For not, and it's not just losing to a bottom team like Bakersfield. Bakersfield, it's a team that brought uh, that uh, it's a team that brought eight players. Yeah, you know they didn't. Bring, it's like it looked like they had a couple of starters and that was it. Most of those players were backup guys they brought, and you let them back in the game. Now the good news here's the positive news. Hopefully. You had that bad first half against Santa Barbara, and then you have a bad second half against Bakersfield. Hopefully, you kind of you can kind of digest what went on, and hope that and, and and make sure that doesn't happen the rest of the season. And that's what Iran said after the game to us on radio. Yes, pretty much exactly that. So, and oh. they'll have a true test for that on Thursday. I mean, this road trip against UC Davis is getting to be critical time of the season. It will be in February. Uh, you have ten games left, and that is a lot. But you don't want to you don't want to drift too far away from that first or second spot in the conference. And again, I still think, and I know, but the conference regular season championship is within reach. They could do that. But and other teams are going to knock each other off. You can't afford a bad loss. And you're going to have to win some of these games on the road against tough teams. For one thing I want to bring up again, the end of the season for Hawaii gets really, really tough. Especially the last game of the season. Well, their last four games get tough, including the last one against Santa Barbara. Uh, But you look at those last four games, Riverside and Irvine at home. And they're ahead of Hawaii in the standings, of course. CSUN on the road should hopefully be a win. But it's a road t- road game. And then Santa Barbara, as you mentioned, three of those four games, again, just like the stretch last week against the top three teams in the conference, two of them on the road. That That's going to be tough. Yeah. 
Uh, looking at the standings now in the Big West. By the way, uh, basketball fans, Jerome DeRosier is going to join us in uh, 20 minutes here on ESPN Honolulu. So UCSB remains number one at 8-1 and one in conference play. Riverside is a half a game back at 8-2. and two. One and a half games out of first place, I believe I'm looking at this, saying, saying this correctly, is that uh, UC Irvine is at 7-2. and two. Hawaii is at 77 wins and three losses now. UC Davis and Long Beach are 6-4. and four. Fullerton's at 6-5. and five. Uh, And then the bottom feeders, San Diego, Bakersfield, Cal Poly, and CSUN have just a few wins this year in conference play. But um, University of Hawaii there, so how many are we back? One and a half. We're just one and a half out. Okay. But eight and one compared to seven and three, so that's one and a half games back? Yes. Two in the loss column, one in the win column, so that's three. That's three games, which is one and a half. Uh, everybody, yeah. yeah, so if you lose to UC Davis, all of a sudden Hawaii comes up at uh, the, the, they're tied with UC Davis at seven and four, right? And then it comes re- then, then you become a middle tier team, and it's it's going to be tough to fight your way back into the top tier. I still think that Hawaii's a top tier team in the Big West with Irvine, Riverside, and UCSB. You know that we have the talent. We just can't have you know, mentally happen what we saw happen on this uh, on this home swing, if you will. Right, and it's on the road. So also Long Beach State and Davis are both only a game in back of Hawaii. So let's just say that Hawaii right. loses to Davis. They're tied, like you said. Long Beach State is on the road at Fullerton, a winnable game. If Long Beach State would win, they would be tied with Hawaii. There'd be a three-way tie for fifth, sixth, and seventh place. Right, and that's middle tier. That's yep. middle tier. Yep. Uh, I mean, you're not going to be with San Diego and Cal Poly at the bottom, but you know, and does it matter? Hawaii's going to get into the tournament. We're playing for seeding, for crying out loud. That's what we're talking about. Seeding and pride, I guess, but you'd rather win games than lose games. But you're also playing, you still have a chance at that regular season title. If they take care of, let's say they go 7-3 and three over the next 10 games like they did the first 10. You're 14-6. and six. That's not going to get you the regular season title. But if you win a game or two, and again, these were, a lot of these games were close losses. Uh, if they, the only two games they haven't been in is UNLV on the road early December and Irvine a couple of weeks ago. Every other game has either been an overtime loss that they've lost, an overtime loss, or a one-possession loss. Oh, really? Yeah, That's four of the six losses. Four of the six losses are that. So, and I'm not, you know, that that goes both ways. You know, you can win them and lose them, but it shows that they're that close to being on, on the top of the of the league. And again, sixteen and six right now is a pretty good record, as we said, seven and three in conference, seven hundred winning percentage. They're not that far away from even higher. So, if they can do a little bit better in the second half, and it's going to be probably tougher, but they do have that talent and the possibility of doing that. They still could win a game and a half is not that much with ten games left. But they're going to have to take care of business, and I think it starts with Davis on Thursday. It can a team, excuse me, with maybe the best player in the conference in Elijah Pepper, and he's been doing a great job, probably averaging in the mid-20s. Uh, but you're going to have to slow him down. They slowed him down when they beat him here on December 29th. Uh, he had a very quiet game, really struggled for his, I think, 14 points. But if you win that game, you're in good shape. You lose that game, as we said, you could drop the uh, sixth or seventh and you're even further away from the pack. So not only are you a game and a half out of first now, but there's also three teams ahead of you. That's mm-hmm. another reason why you got to win these games. And a split on the road is what we always say is good, but I think this week you'd like to get a sweep on the road. 
All right. And uh, so you can hear the games coming up Thursday, as Gary mentioned here, on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, Four o'clock, the men are going to tip off, and then uh, the ladies will be playing UC Davis at the Stan Sheriff Center. Now, the uh, Wahine basketball team, six and four, they're in uh, one, two, three, four, fifth place Mm. in the Big West. So with a win and a UC San Diego loss, then uh, Hawaii jumps into fourth place, and they'll be right behind UCSB. So anyway, a lot of uh, basketball talk or really a lot of basketball action here to get into this week for the uh, Rainbow Warrior men and Wahine. Once again, congratulations to the men's volleyball team uh, for sweeping on the road. They don't play this week, right? They're going to play Stanford next week on the road. Yes. All right. Get your studying done, boys. 18 minutes after the hour, we'll check your traffic. And uh, like we said, in about 15 minutes, Jerome DeRosier is going to join us. More on the AFC and NFC championships is on the way. Uh, and uh, stuffs coming up on ESPN Honolulu. How about them Chiefs? You know, I wonder. It's easy to say. You know, this two-week layoff is going to be great because it gets everybody a chance to get healthy. I wonder, but see, and I don't know anything. I, w- I wish uh, I wish um, Dr. Maramoto from Orthopedic Associates was here. <laughs> he could help us out. But I wish that uh, because Patrick Mahomes hurt his ankle, and so maybe it wasn't that hurt, high ankle sprain, last week because he seemed to come out it was still a little tender. He wasn't the same Patrick Mahomes. Not quite. You know, playing like Magic Johnson of the Lakers, right? We didn't see that Patrick Mahomes. But then when he tweaked that ankle, it was maybe he made it worse. I wonder if he made it worse, if he felt worse after this game than he did last week. And I don't know, is that possible? It's a high it's, ankle sprain. Can you have a worse high ankle sprain? I guess you could. Right? I would imagine you could, but I think we would have heard something about that from after the game from somebody. Yeah. And maybe the fact that we didn't, but you're right, it is possible, definitely. It didn't seem like that at the end of the game it was any worse. But, again, you never know, maybe the day after. But I, w- I think we'd hear something about that pretty soon. That's pretty, uh, you know, the Chiefs' defense was really outstanding in this game. I mean, I, I would say that the Chiefs' defense and uh, uh, Joseph Asai, the linebacker for the Bengals, won the game for the Chiefs because Travis Kelsey, the second to the last, I was – I cringe. The second to the last play in practice the day before, he tweaks his back. And Travis Kelsey, obviously, by watching this game, Travis Kelsey was not himself either. How bad is his back? That's what that's what curious people want to know, right? It's funny. You're right. You're right. But it's funny because he had seven catches and a touchdown. But that's not Travis Kelsey. It's like 80 yards, whatever it was. But not you, saw, typical the, you saw the way he was moving. Yeah, he right? wasn't 100%, I guess. But... You know, one thing, we talk about the game, you talk about Asai and the penalty and everything else. Let's remember when Cincinnati had the ball on their last drive, Joe Burrow got called for intentional grounding. And that and that was a late call, oh, but it was yeah, the right call. Oh, yeah, I remember call. that. That yeah, was no a receiver. That, he he, he, he kind of threw it about seven yards up the yeah. field in the front, right? So you lo- yeah, in front so you, of him, right? Is that yeah, the one so I'm you lose of? the okay. down, and then you lose the yard. You're back in, like, within your own 10-yard line. So when they punted the ball to Kansas City, it gave Kansas City a short field. 
And I think that was when they when that happened. I thought the game was over because you're going to punt the, it. Was that at the end of the game? But yeah, that was had a, But he also had like a thirty yard uh, return. It was uh, what's his name? Oh, it was a super fast guy. Oh, for the for the Chiefs. Yeah. Yeah, I forget who it was, but they had the oh. big return. But the fact that you're so deep in your own territory, you're going to give them good field position. And I thought that that took everything. I thought the game was over there because they punted came, from where they're thirty or something. Right like around. That? No, they punted from around their goal line, right around there. They got pushed back to around their ten or so. No, because the guy the guy got the punt. I might be thinking of another play. The guy got the punt on his own like thirty yard line and ran it up. No. Am I misremembering? He ran it up a little. I think they got it near midfield or around This is too there. much TV watching for me. It's all but, melting together. But the intentional grounding pushed them back, and they had a punt because it turned it from third to fourth. That was, to me, that was the game. And I felt bad because Cincinnati, I think, kind of knew it, that they're giving the ball to Mahomes with like a minute left, whatever it was, and short mm. field. A field goal wasn't going to be that hard. And they barely got it, as we know. But that, that last series did not do well for Cincinnati because they had a chance to you know, maybe get in field goal range themselves or at least get near midfield and punt the ball game over, go to overtime. Four oh, quarters okay. are over. Okay. Yeah, because I'm thinking, okay, Cincinnati's going to win this game. There's two minutes left or whatever it was, right? Right, right. That's is what that I was what you thinking. just said? Is it, yeah. See, no, that's what I was is, thinking, though. That's what I was thinking. I, 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 I didn't. Well, I'd be lying if I didn't say I nodded off during part of that game. <laughs> It was boring up until the fourth quarter. But, yeah, I was thinking, hey, you know what? I was thinking because of the way this thing went, it's 20 to 20. Nobody's really, you know, both defenses are playing really well. I was thinking for sure this thing's going into overtime. Me That's too. what I was thinking was I just want to go. I was at, like I said earlier, I was at my son's house, and I was thinking, you know what? I just want to go home. I'm ready to go home. <laughs> it's raining outside. It's cold. The dog sitting on me. I mean, I just like all these. You know, I just want to go home. It's time to go home. I've been watching television for like seven hours straight. Get me out of here. <laughs> and I'm thinking, don't go into overtime. And then I thought, okay, the, the Bengals are gonna, the, you know, they're moving the ball down the field. Looks like the Bengals got it. No. Yeah. Uh-uh. No. Uh, because I think they had another completion that they had another penalty on that drive besides the intentional grounding. And again, when you te- when you punt deep in your territory to Patrick Mahomes and KC at home, you just kind of had that sense. So I think that really cost them the game. Again, when we talk about a sigh, and it wasn't just that one penalty at the end on Mahomes that cost them the game. Burrow you know with the intentional grounding was another play that cost them the game. It was more than just that. I'm agreeing that that wasn't no. just one play. You know what? I think it is. I, I think I, I I was being politically correct because if he does that play in the first quarter. You have a lot of time to make up for it, no matter what happens. So you, there's a, there's time. If he doesn't hit Patrick Mahomes illegally out of bounds, then maybe they don't move into field goal range. Right. It, the, the the Chiefs were not doing moving the ball very well on offense, and they had a ton of a couple of injured receivers already. One with a bad back. I mean, they were having trouble moving the ball the entire game. You move the ball up for them with eight seconds remaining. And you in want- my mind, argue with me if you want at 808-296-1420. It cost him the game because of what time it happened in the game. It's okay to be, you know, to be, I felt bad for the guy. And I know his teammates all came in the locker room and said, it wasn't you, there's all these other kind of things. I had mentioned in the 6 o'clock hour, well, if the, perhaps if the Bengals could get even one yard gained in the first quarter, the game would be different. Maybe, maybe not. It doesn't matter. Because at the end of the game, 
you put them into field goal range, and they scored and made a relatively easy kick for Harrison Butker. But, so I do, I do say it's his fault. But I do say he cost him the game. But to me, it wasn't that one, just that one play, because if Burrow doesn't have the intentional grounding, they're not getting the ball where they're close enough to be where the penalty gets them in field goal range. If they can advance the ball and have an, they have another possession because it was only third down turning into fourth, Kansas City would have less time, and they're going to get the ball even deeper in their territory. So you can look at it that way as well. But there's other things that have happened. You know what I mean? After, after the – okay – then you could say, well, it wasn't on the gunner on the punt team because he let the guy return a 30-yard punt. No, that's right? a little di- I think that's a little what different. What I'm saying is there was time afterwards to make up for it. Not a lot. Or as, or as you and Bobby Curran would say, afterwards. Not a there lot was, of time, though. But there was time. This was the last play of the game. Boom. He was out of bounds. You lost your head. Don't tell me that, oh, I was trying to push him backwards. You can't push someone backwards if you're behind them. Last time I checked, I never took Phoenix. I, a Phoenix. I never took <laughs> physics. And I've never been to Phoenix. I tell, I might have been in Phoenix. Is Phoenix by Scottsdale? When yeah, I have to find yeah, a Phoenix? Okay, I've been in guy. Phoenix. I've been in Phoenix. Okay. Anyway, the, the point is, if you didn't do that, you might have won the game. Maybe you didn't, but you put him in field goal range. Joe Burrow didn't put him in field goal. Oh, yes, he did. Because if he, if, he to, because if he doesn't have the intentional grounding, they have another ta- they have another down to get the ball up, which means there's less time for Kansas City when they got the ball, which means they wouldn't have gotten the field goal with eight seconds left. They, it would have been too late for that. And they didn't have any timeouts left. So I, and I, I know there's a lot of what-ifs in there, of course. But I think it, instead of just putting the blame on a side, I know where I'm not, and you kind of are, and I understand that because that penalty was the last play, basically. But yeah. Burrow having the uh, intentional grounding also set the tone for that last drive of KC. But no one's saying Burrow cost them the game. Burrow also helped them score 20 points. Osai had one job. One job. <laughs> When he's standing on the fat white line, you don't push him and then say, I was trying to push him backwards to keep the clock going. But what he meant was he was trying to push him and keep him in bounds is what he meant, even though he no. kind of sounded stupid. No, no, no. There's a rule in the NFL, and I know you're not familiar with football as much as I am. There's a rule in the NFL. If you're moving backwards uh, at the – you're going out of bounds, but you're going out of bounds backwards to stop the clock, they keep the, ball, they keep the clock running. Did you not know that? Oh, I know that. That's actually a good oh, point. Shit. But, 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 again, what he was saying was if he could keep him in bounds, the clock would move. They had no timeouts left. No, no, no. What he said was, and go back and listen to it, because I don't want to go back and okay. forth. You're, you're misremembering. But it's it's. he said, I tried to push him backwards. He said that, yeah. So the clock was trying to go. So that's what, you can't push him backwards if you're behind somebody, I unless know. you're like a Marvel superhero or something. I, I, I was just saying what he meant. But one thing I read last night, which makes sense, there was a reporter from Pro Football Talk saying that quarterbacks are taught how to kind of sell that, where if they know they're about to get hit, they slow up to get hit, to get the penalty. And I, oh, wonder, how, I wonder how frequent interesting. that is. I like some a basketball that. player coming down the court, and all of a sudden you stop and you put on the brakes, and the guy runs into behind you. Basically, yes. Yeah. So Other people on special way. teams – you're about to get blocked. Oh, you turn around, the guy hits you in the back. Oh, blocking in the back, right? Yeah, I never thought of that. But A couple of quick texts before we get Jerome on here. Uh, we were talking about the first time two African-American uh, quarterbacks face each other in, the, uh, in a Super Bowl. And I didn't know this is the first time. The first time. Thank you, Harry, for texting in. Thanks for listening, bro. 
First time two brothers on opposing teams, Jason and Travis Kelsey. Yeah. I didn't know that. We said that earlier. We talked about that earlier. I wasn't listening to you. <laughs> you weren't awake in the six o'clock. Yeah, I, I, no, I was. You said I it. You say that you even said you said that if we had the Harbaugh Bowl with the coaches. Oh, and but I didn't got... know it was. The, I didn't know it was the first ever. Oh, though. okay. I mean, because uh, somebody, maybe it was uh, Patrick Mahomes, that called it the Kelsey Bowl, mm. and then we had the Harbaugh Bowl. Because you think about the parents who are they going to cheer for, right? You know, you know, that's kind of you know they wear you know different colored jerseys, whatever they do, right? But that's never happened before ever. No, see, like with uh, it would you could it'd be kind of cool. Well, JJ Watt, well, the Cardinals are never going to a Super Bowl anytime, even if if um, JJ Watt stayed there. Derek Watt and TJ Watt would be brothers in a Super Bowl, but they wouldn't be opposing brothers in a Super Bowl. Right. What was the, the name of the, the brothers from USC, the linemen who were playing for Tennessee for a while? Oh, Bruce, the Matthews. Uh, yeah, the Matthews were they brothers. Or, were they brothers they, or cousins? I think there were two brothers and a cousin. Weren't there three of them in the NFL? Well, they had a dad, too, that was, uh, that was in the Clay, Hall of Fame. Clay, Bruce, and somebody else. Now, I know a brother, and I think a brother-in-law, because A.J. Hawk is somehow married into royalty somewhere. Brady Quinn. I think Brady Quinn uh, married his sister. Oh, never mind. Or vice I versa. Roy- I take the royalty part back. Yeah. Hey, all right. <laughs> hey, good fun talking Super Bowl. Real quick, uh, let's see. We were talking about uh, Nunu Moore, the new guy coming to UH uh, football. They say he's projected to compete at safety. And he wants to return kicks. Oh, that's right. Steve was saying he wants to return kicks. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, it's got to be a safety. He's, he's got 50 tackles. That's mm. not a corner. Uh, let's see. We're going to save the rest of the text because Jerome. Uh, or here's a good one. i got to get this out real quick. It says, you're right, Chris. So I had to get that out before the break. All right. Let's oh, your see wife here. wrote that. <laughs> see, uh, let's check the surf here. And we'll be back with some UH basketball talk in Jerome DeRosier. Joining us on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Oh, before we do that, another reminder. We gave away some tickets to the um, the, the Big Shoe, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. They're coming to town March 18th at the Waikiki Shell. Tickets are on sale now. We're going to give away some tickets to things and uh, some prizes this week. Everyone who wins a prize from the animals this week in the morning, you are going to be entered to win a pair of tickets to see Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons on Friday morning. So keep listening to ESPN Honolulu. Barbara, in that first half, we were hoping for a different result on Saturday. First half was about as perfect a half as you could play. Highest point total. Everything went well for Hawaii in that first half. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that our guys did a good job. I think they, they kind of got over that loss, you know, against Santa Barbara. Uh, they came in confident. And I think, you know, like you said, it was a really good first half for us. Um, now, I mean, if you want to talk about the second half, it wasn't uh, what we wanted at all, <laughs> to be honest. And Ron Gannat was on with me after the game and talking about how upset and disappointed he was more than upset, I guess. And, you know, proud of the win, of course. But why why, why do you think that happened in Saturday's game? Because if you look at Bakersfield, they're understaffed. Under, you know, they only had eight guys playing, missing a couple of starters. They're not a very good team when healthy. And the first half kind of showed that. But it was a completely different second half. Yeah, it just felt like the guys maybe got um... – a little too content with the way we played in the first half. Um, again, 
it takes maturity and, you know, just overall just being, you know, mature and, and kind of older to understand that, you know, teams kind of never quit on you. Um, and I think that the guys kind of just um, took their, their foot off the pedal, really. Uh, that's what it felt like. You know, they were kind of happy with where we were. Um, I really didn't like the way that I, just our overall effort I wasn't there in the second half. I was actually wondering at uh, some point in the second half if you would jump off the bench and start playing like James Harden did in Saturday's game as well for Philadelphia. <laughs> but that was with only four players. I don't think you have the eligibility, although you should, and that's another topic. Uh, you know, when <laughs> when Bakersfield gets to within four, 54-50 with about 6.50 left, they had momentum. And, you know, Ron talked about every aspect of the game, every phase, defensively, offensively, turnovers, 50-50 balls. Offensively, there was a drought of about nine minutes without a field goal, two of 11 shooting, both baskets by McClanahan, with about seven and a half minutes left in the game. Why do you think those struggles were offensively? Because to me, at least the shot selection looked pretty good. It wasn't much different than the first half. It was just shots not falling. Um, yeah, I, I think I have to disagree with you. I don't think they were our best shots or our best efforts on offense. Uh, you know, it felt like 10 possessions in a row almost were just either one-on-one shots um, that, you know, yeah, we have talented guys. We trust our guys in their, their offensive talents, but sometimes you kind of just want to move the ball, especially when you have a lead, um, to kind of keep, you know, that lead and keep them, keep them tired, keep them moving, um, extend the game a little bit, take longer to, to shoot the ball which we didn't do for, like you said, about you know, those 10 possessions. Um, and it kind of threw us off our, in our, of our rhythm, um, and then which affected us on defense as well. Um, so, you know, yeah, shots weren't falling, but they've got the shots that we want to take. Jerome DeRosier yeah, joining us here. Jerome DeRosier schooling Dickman on <laughs> basketball on ESPN Honolulu. Hey, his, his Princeton degree came in handy on Saturday. He showed me how to look up a clock on Google that I could get the seconds counting down. He really helped me big time on that. I'll explain a stopwatch, you mean? It wasn't a stopwatch, but it was basically the same principle. I needed to know the second count, and he showed it to me on his phone. But you he don't was getting need ready someone who went to Princeton. Just go find a nine-year-old. Oh, no, on. no. He, he, he's got all the, every answer to every question I have, and we appreciate that. One thing we did talk about on Countdown, the tip-off Saturday, was Kamaka Hepa and some of the games where it seemed like he's maybe rushing his threes early on and then gets into that rhythm and plays a lot better. But he started off Saturday on fire. He had four three-pointers in that first half. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we've been talking about where he kind of rushes the shots in the first half and kind of slows down in the second. I felt like it happened just quicker in the game. Uh, like, he, he, I think he took one or two that were a little rushed, I think, and then he kind of settled down and, you know, made those four for us in the first half, which were very, very big. Uh, I felt really good. I, th- I thought he actually had a really good game for us on, on, Saturday, on Saturday, yeah. Javon McClanahan, again, nothing ceases to amaze me with him. And I don't think he'll, I was saying it earlier, I don't think he'll make all first-team Big West because A.J. Mitchell will get there. But I hope he gets some recognition. I mean, I just think every game he's getting better and better. I know Thursday struggled with foul trouble. But you look at him on Saturday night, the 17 points. He did have three assists, which is, I mean, three turnovers, which is about as much as he ever gets in a game. It's usually zero or one. Six rebounds. I just think he does so much. And some of those shots he was taking, again, these shots he wouldn't either take or make last year and maybe even earlier this year but the shots in the paint over guys much bigger than him and he gets them off and he's usually connecting i'm just really more and more impressed every game with him yeah i thought he was awesome on saturday he was not only you know really really good on offense and defense but he was kind of trying to find everyone you know and and get our offense going i mean it helps when you make those you know those those kind of fadeaway jumpers the ones that he loves to do uh, which which he did early on and then once that happened the defense the 
you know, Bakersfield was kind of, kind of just committing to him a little bit more aggressively, um, which then, you know, we had to just, he had to find our guys that were open. He was just great for us on, on Saturday. We really, I really liked the way he played for us. I want to ask you a question about Morissette in that I know he's playing five, seven minutes around there a game. He did pretty good on Saturday, even on Thursday, you know, affecting shots just by his presence. What does he need to work on in the offseason to become even a better player next year and take it to the next level? Uh, so I think the more is, like we know, he's very strong and very tall. He just needs to work on uh, kind of our understanding of how strong he is and how to control his body a little bit better. Uh, there was a play where he... I think he got hit in the chest, and his arms were up, and, you know, he jumped. He, he did everything right, or so he thought, and they called a foul. And um, that's kind of a play where you have to learn that your arms, when you get hit in the, in the chest and the abs, uh, they can't come down at all. So you just kind of have to be, um, you know, a little bit stronger. Honestly, it just takes a lot of reps, which that's what he needs. He's just young, really. Um, so I think control, controlling his body and then overall just um, kind of grabbing those rebounds with two hands. Sometimes you'll see him, he tries mm. to kind of just hit it with one hand. Um, he, he's really just trying to make a play, um, which is good. But we want him to grab those balls, especially because he's so so tall and he can get he can get up high. So yeah, yeah. I remember that one play you're talking about. He's a little raw, but still you can see the talent there. Okay, one last question before we let you go, Jerome. With UC Davis, the opponent, you'll be playing them for the second time, of course. Everybody going around the league now after playing ten games in league play. What's different when you were a player and now as a coach, a grad assistant, what is the approach when you're playing a team for the second time? Do you look back totally on the first game? Is there something different? Do both teams change in a, peri- in a period of three, four weeks? Uh, yeah, I think you for sure watch the game uh, that we played against them because uh, obviously they, they, they run the same stuff. They, you know, they have the same tendencies, uh, but teams develop for sure. They make, sometimes they make adjustments on offense, with even sometimes just play calls, really. Um, and then we just have to watch, you know, all the games that they've played since we've played them um, just to see if they've changed. So it's like we just have to take it step by step, you know, and then make sure we write the, game, the, the, the right game plan for them. Um, but it, it does help that we've seen them already. And hopefully another victory coming up on Thursday and another very important game. Tip-off is at 4 p.m. Hawaii time. You and I will be on the air at 3 p.m. with Countdown the Tip-Off. Jerome, good to talk to you again. I look forward to doing it again on Thursday afternoon. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a great day. All right, thank you to Jerome. Jerome DeRosier joining us here on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia hotline. You know, one thing about Saturday's game, Ben Benjamin, our correspondent, is sitting in courtside seats, and right at the end of the game with about three and a half seconds left before Bakersfield hit that three, one of their plays, I think he said it was Colum, uh, he was leaning over, just sitting on the standing on the sidelines next to Ben, and he was number four. Uh, for Bakersfield, the leading scorer in that game with 23 points, Antavian Column, and he was saying this is the greatest atmosphere we've seen all year. We love the atmosphere here. We wish we could play every game in this arena. We love it. And I think that was great, even though there was 4,417 fans. More the guy than, on the other team said yeah, that? Yeah, so that's yeah, a we, bad, don't, bad we don't like that. We, we want them to say this is a horrible atmosphere. We hate playing at the Stan Sheriff Center. We don't uh, want them to enjoy playing well, us here. I, I don't think, well... As long as we get the win, yeah. It just shows how great a venue it is and how the fans can make a difference. And I thought the fans were great both nights. We're starting to get more fans. We're not like, and I was telling Jerome how it was in the early 2000s, 7,000 was the norm. You know, back it in was? Tulsa, Fresno State. Yeah, it was the norm back in the early 2000s. We're not mm. there, but at least we're getting more than the two or 3,000 we were getting four or five years ago. It's starting to get up to the 4,000s on really? a weekday and a weekend. I don't so remember it being, it was like two or 1,000 people. That's small. Yeah, I don't like, remember. I'm not doubting you. I don't yeah. remember it being that small. We had a Four number or five of years, years ago. 
Yeah, we had a number of games where you, if you broke 4,000, it happened maybe once a year. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So at least we're getting up there again. So that's that, again, that's it's encouraging. Well, the good thing, you don't have the huge numbers, but these are good fans. You yes. know what I mean? They're, 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 they get loud, and they're smart fans. They know what they're watching. You know, you still have some people, you know, reading the newspaper during the game and stuff like that. It's like, why did you even come? You're missing the game. True. Anyway. All right, 849 here. Uh, check it out. On your way home. If there's a lot of traffic, pull on over and head over to Dixie Grill Barbecue Hut and Crab Shack. That's right, Dixie Grill and IAEA has the best happy hour on the islands with 32 ounce Bud Lights, just six dollars. Jack Daniels and Jameson also six bucks. Uh, grind some peel and eat shrimp, buffalo fries, fried crab, stuffed deviled eggs. Oh, sounds good. They got a lot of different kind of poo poos there. Um, life is too short to sit in traffic. Head on over to Happy Hour at Dixie Grill. Having a happy, uh, hope you're having a happy Monday. We're having a happy Monday. Of course, it's National Bubble Wrap Day. Who wouldn't? <laughs> it's National Croissant Day. I'll say it again, man. But you know what? It's kind of weird. Is it sad today? Would should we be sad? And I think we would be if if somebody lost their life to COVID. Today is the three years since the World Health Organization declared on this day the uh, the um, the coronavirus out the coronavirus outbreak. An international public health emergency. So that happened uh, on this day in 2020, and uh, later on, um, they on March 11th, I guess. March 11th, yeah, right they, around there is when everything really. Broke yeah, that's loose. when they. It was a global pandemic, and think how fast that spread. Do you remember? Very. It was fast. like there was some guy in Wuhan, and this happened, and then it was like a month later. Oh, that's all. You know, because. A lot of stuff doesn't affect us here in Hawaii. We're out in the middle of the Pacific. So I think that what a lot of us thought is, hey, this is a thing going on in, the, on, on, in Europe or China. And, oh, oh, somebody in, in America got it. And then it was like all of a sudden before you knew it, what? In Hawaii? Oh, that's just one person, right? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I remember reading a paragraph about it in the mainland paper, and it was like anything else you read about from 10,000 miles away don't want to affect us. And I remember I think the first victims were in a Seattle nursing home, and then it was somebody in New York City that got it. And then like a day or two later, it was like thousands of people all around the country, and it really grew from you know January 30th to middle of March when everything got kind of shut down all around the country. We have a series uh, on our social media on YouTube, and I think it will be on our website called The Difference Maker. And it's about inspiring local sports stories. And I don't know if you remember um, ja, uh, Zeus White. He was a running back. He was a running back, and I believe it was at UH. I remember he was with the Hawaii Hammerheads in uh, 1999. But he had he had vision only in one right. eye. And our latest uh, episode of The Difference Maker, which is coming out real soon, is uh, about his son be, oh. uh, having to deal with his dad who passed away. Zeus White was one of the ones that passed away during COVID. Oh, wow. So it's kind of inspirational. Keep your keep your eye out for that. I'll, I'll mention it if, um, you know, we happen to, when the video comes out. I think it comes out this week. But uh, anyway. All right. Well, gosh, it's time for us to go. 
Coming up today, uh, remember, we have Let's Talk Sports. Uh, that's going on with Kanoa Leahy. Josh Pacheco's on at 3. And we've got the HHSAA girls basketball action. First round, Kaiser and Kamehameha Kapalama on CBS 1500. That's at uh, just about 6 o'clock on CBS 1500. John Tamanaha with that call. See you tomorrow.